Hey, everyone out there in Geek Vibes Nation. This is your pal, Dane Alves, with another enticing episode and uh, of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, we break down wrestling. And we got a doozy of a show for you today, because we're going to go over the Wednesday Night Wars this week. We're going to go over SmackDown and the interesting stuff they decided to do on that show. And... We're going to talk about a, a conversation piece comparing two wrestlers that we might try in the future, kind of kind of like the Hall of Fame or the uh, Observing Wrestlers Hall of Fame, where we're trying new things for you guys uh, to see if it works and see if it's fun. So today's conversation piece, and maybe I'll figure out like a title for this concept, is Eddie Guerrero and Macho Man Randy Savage. So I'm really looking forward to you know, conversing with my co-host, and uh, since I just brought him up, Chris, how you doing, sir? I am doing very, very well. Uh, I apologize if you're any uh, extracurricular activity in the background. My yard guy's here, so surprise me. Um, but outside of that, man, I'm having an energy drink, getting ready to talk about some wrestling. I'm very looking forward to the conversations about Eddie Guerrero and Macho Me and Randy Savage. Uh, it's gonna be fun. So, uh, how how are you, man? How how was your uh, Friday night? Because we talked on Thursday. <laughs> I uh, I drank. Um, not gonna lie, I had a couple whiskey shots, a couple beers, watched SmackDown. Um, I noticed it quite a few times, so that's good. And uh, yeah, you know, had a good Friday. And you sound that's, fine, that's, man. That's you a, sound, that's how you. That's how you know it's good when you say, I noticed it. <laughs> that's like how most people feel about the rest of an Alter Bridge album that's not, <laughs> not the Edge theme song. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, I noticed it. it was, I mean, it was, it was decent. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Like, well, that's good for Ron SmackDown if they can keep my attention because of Wednesday. And, and you know, we always go over the ratings. It kind of sucks how that is because – you know, for wrestling fans, for wrestling fans, for wrestling fans, I don't think it's, you know, a contest. I think that if you compare Ron SmackDown to Dynamite and NXT, they, I, I, you know, unless you're just one of those fans that loves to be only one fan of, of, of one than the other. But most of the time, I think that, you know, casual wrestling fans like us, not casual, but the diehards, Chris, like the Wednesday shows over the Monday and the uh, the Friday shows, ba- you know, not based off the ratings or whatever. Yeah, no, I I mean I completely agree with you. It's it's man. All right, let's just let's just dive into this, Dane. Let's just fucking dive right into this. All right, well, before we go over those shows, I do want to bring up two news items that have happened since we last talked uh, really quick, quickly. Um, one of them being uh, that, spoiler warning if you don't want to hear this, this is the return of a wrestler on Monday, but, um, you know, you've been warned. If not, just go a couple minutes forward. Uh, that Randy Savage is on his way back. Or not Randy Savage, my God. I guess we know. <laughs> oh yeah, the cream of the uh, finally returning to drop the elbow at Triple H for taking his girlfriend. Oh my God, you're still supposed to talk about that. Um, uh, yeah, but AJ Styles will be returning Monday without 
the club, obviously, and after the events. Are you excited about this? Too soon. Yeah. I, I think it's too soon. And I wanted them to bring him back with some kind of cool thing, honestly, especially because he shed, he kind of shedded the club. And I think it's the time to bring AJ back as a cool guy and maybe have him feud against Alistair or someone that, you know, I mean, I, I, not mystical versus mystical, but I think there, there's a time to rebuild AJ and it's not, there's not enough breath in between us seeing him get buried by the undertaker and the glove sticking up from the ground. Like, Oh no. Um, maybe like they could have waited one pay-per-view for at least in my opinion but yes I'm always happy to see AJ Styles I, I do think it's too soon though do you think he'll have some type of different gimmick and what do you think is going to be his reasoning about it, how he got out of that situation you know I mean being that they didn't give it enough time to really breathe or settle in for fans, hopefully his reasons. Uh, I'm from Gainesville, Georgia. God damn it, and she climbed right out of there. <laughs> Somebody with some damn sense. Uh, roll, roll elephants or whatever. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it, it's to me, it's just too soon, and they're probably just gonna bring him back as AJ Styles because they need a guy, and he's in Atlanta, so it's not that far of a travel or whatever, but. Uh, I would have probably given him off until a big pay-per-view for a while. In my opinion, because you, I mean, yes, he lost to The Undertaker, but he got a great rub from The Undertaker. You get that iconic, like, AJ Styles glove sticking from the ground. I feel like there's a lot you could do in bringing him back so soon, especially with not really, I mean, he's coming back to Raw, right? So, like, what are they going to have him do that's important enough for him to come back right now? I don't know. And I'm, I'm just hoping that there is not a complete change in the gimmick, but a direction that goes kind of darker. We have AJ that's now forcibly by himself. So whatever they decide to do, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's way too soon as of I- right now. And, and I will say, I, I love the idea of a darker AJ and a darker gimmick. It's just there, there's not enough room. There's not enough separation from what technically happened to AJ of being dead, right? Um, to just coming right back one pay-per-view later. Well, not even one pay-per-view. You said next Monday was the tease, right? So before Money in the Bank? Yep. Or are they just going to toss him in there and have him win Money in the Bank or something? It's, it, I, think, I think Monday, actually, now that you mention it, they are having a gauntlet match, I believe, on Monday to find out the last participant. So that would be very, you know, of them to kind of forget what happened, throw AJ in, he wins it. Yeah, and I mean, we kind of talked about this with Kevin, uh, Kevin Owens. There's still, like, a way for some of these people to get into a big match on Money in the Bank. It's just whether they want to be there or not. AJ actually kind of makes more sense, but I just didn't think they were going to bring him back so soon because i just feel like kevin's not going to travel out of canada unless he absolutely has to well it's it's funny that you say that because our next news item um is actually about someone that's not willing to travel right now and reportedly Sami Zayn has turned away from you know future tapings with wwe with fear of the coronavirus um which they said as a company that 
if any of the employees or wrestlers felt that way, they wouldn't get any, you know, in trouble at all. But the Observer was saying that Sammy gave them this warning right before the show last week on SmackDown. So uh, I don't know when's the next time we're going to see Zayn on TV. He is the IC champion. I could take, I could see them taking that title and making it some type of tournament, you know, to give content, if you will. But just to say, you know, regardless about what they said about this, this is Sami Zayn, the same person for, you know, for good reasons. Don't get me wrong. Who doesn't want to go over to Saudi Arabia? It just makes it seem with a lot of the stuff and the antics he's done online. You know, he's not so much of a team player. And I still think that regardless of what they say about with the whole COVID thing, it's going to be in the back of, of, of someone's mind named Vincent Kennedy McMahon. So uh, how do you feel about this, Chris? I mean, as far as not being a team player, give the guy something to do. That's not part of a, a crew that no one gives a shit about, honestly. And you're, he's basically a manager. He's Bobby the Brainy. And like, how are you going to get excited about going to work when you're just kind of there and you're you're asked to do some irrelevant travel from Canada which technically should be I think the borders are actually closed so some sort of illegal activity to get to an essential workplace in Tampa or whatever I mean like look Sammy's a great wrestler and I'm assuming the same thing is kind of going on with Kevin Owens right now if anything, we're going to get the Jim Cornette was like, I told you motherfuckers that they don't want to travel anywhere or whatever the hell he's going to do, because that's going to be what comes out of this. But to some extent, like, does Sammy really want to be in WWE at this point? That's the real question. Like, when's the real last big wrestling match he was in? I mean, this last one with Daniel over the IC belt, that wasn't really an IC championship match that we were hoping because you had Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn. And I was completely let down from that. And I don't like that they've kind of forced him into the Bobby Heenan role. Um, I missed his old matches. Um, I, it's kind of a struggle. And I think this guy, I mean, I don't think we talked about this on um... – the last podcast but i'm a little curious did you happen to hear daniel bryan's comments on his relationship right now with brie and kind of how that stuff is going no uh well i saw a commercial for the total divas but you know that i that's still months ago but i don't know anything currently so i mean they basically talked about how they've both kind of evolved from their relationship which happens in any relationship right but uh with him going back to wrestling and her being really involved with what is it birdie b i think is the name of her company and, and birdie he was specifically talking about when he comes home when he's able to come home it's like a distance thing like they don't have any time alone it's it's a it seemed and and she kind of agreed with what he was saying so that's uh, something to keep interested in if you're a uh, total total was total Bellas is that the name of the show total Be- total total Bellas if you're a total Bellas fan um, it is it's kind of weird to hear because it's like everything was fine and they started wrestling again and she's not wrestling and uh, they also talked about um, Nikki specifically wanting to come back to wrestling as a manager because she was in the same interview. And her doctor was like, yeah, but you're not going to, like, 
go back as a manager. Like you're gonna go back as a manager, you're gonna take a bump, and he's like, it's no, you're just done. Yeah. Like don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't blame the doctor saying that because that's exactly what would happen. And she's got too fucked up of a neck to really continue. And do I think that Nikki could be a good valet, especially a heel valet? Yeah, I do, actually. I think that she's got that aspect of the business. And I never was someone that was actually – I always thought that, that Nikki was a pretty good wrestler. Brie was fine, you know. But I, th- I thought that Nikki actually evolved uh, through her time. But, yeah, she's going to want to jump right back on the uh, the saddle. And that's kind of sad to hear about Brie and Daniel. But, unfortunately, with relationships, even if you have marriage, even if you have children involved, sometimes the relationship evolves. And this is a wrestler. And I'm sure that there's a comment where she says to him that she feels like he cares more about wrestling sometimes than family. And that's a big thing that comes up. And Daniel's been on go. He hasn't been on a very limited schedule, like originally said, if he started. <laughs> Do you remember that, Chris? He was supposed to have a limited schedule, a, a, like a Randy Orton-like schedule was the comparison. But Daniel Bryan's been wrestling nonstop. Yeah. And he and doesn't I, and, let up either. Yeah. And I mean – I will respect both of them in this aspect is they said that both change and they just have to work through it and try to grow stronger in that interview, which I appreciate. Like, that's not like, oh, well, we're doing this now, so fuck each other kind of thing. So, like, it's – it's. I mean, if you're a Total Bellas fan, like I said, this is an interesting thing to come up. The uh, the Nikki thing is just kind of – it. it's sadder because – I think Paige gets way more appreciation for wrestling than Nikki does, but Nikki seems to be the yeah. one that wants to come back to wrestling <laughs> so much. If you really look at it, well, it looks like I've heard I've heard Paige is trying to figure out any loophole to go around too. I think that that's the bug itself, um, biting both ladies, and they don't have the realization that I understand. You know. There's stem cell research now that you can do for certain things. There's there's certain things, obviously, that Daniel Bryan did to um, help his brain and everything. But, I mean, you know, we know that Tommaso Ciampa, he's got a fucking limited clock. Uh, We know Edge does, too, even if he was able to come back from this. Your, Your neck, your spine especially, and your brain are three things you're not going to be able to get away from within wrestling. So... You know, and with her, it's like what she's had like two fusion surgeries on her neck. It's just not going to happen. Every time she comes back, she gets injured, much like Paige, when everyone thought that she was back and a very minor thing on a house show from Sasha, you know, her her arm went numb and she couldn't feel anything. And that was it. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just it's very sad for both both of those ladies in general. It just. I mean, there is there's something to be say said about Nikki's passion for wanting to wrestle and her uh, fans. And she gets a lot of shit. She gets a lot of shit, and I don't necessarily think that she's the best wrestler of all time, but she does seem to legitimately care about being in that spotlight with the wrestling fans and being a part of that, whether it's like her, you know, her merch or whatever. It's it's almost like kind of like a John Cena thing. Which is yeah. kind of funny to say, but it's true. It is very like she does seem to legitimately care. Whereas pa- like Paige, I think she cares about being in wrestling, but I don't like. Did she think she just gave up on it? It's now she's been so beaten down with not being able to come back, and after a while, it's like, well, fuck this, you know. 
What am I going yeah, to do? Yeah, and also you had, I mean, there's so much other page stuff with Alberto Del Rio and then the Triple yeah. Impact and some other stuff that had nothing to do with WWE. And this is I don't know if she's in a good about. headspace, you know. I really do with her yeah. because of that. Yeah, me too. And, and and I'm not even trying to get into like the leaked. I mean, leaked shit that sucks. Like, there's nothing you can do about. It. But there was like a time where she was rotating out of WWE and was Alberto's manager and kind of floating around AAA and Impact. And as we know, that's none of that stuff went very well. And then made her way back and then had like like you said one or two matches and uh, it's kind of is is kind of bad. But you know. With with Paige, in comparison to like Nikki, they basically have the same amount of wear on their bump card because Paige has been wrestling since she was like what thirteen or some shit, some yeah. ridiculous like <laughs> like it's easy to look at Paige and be like oh man she is she didn't wrestle that long it's like well no she did just not at WWE level of yeah, wrestling, man. but uh, I will say Nikki she. As much as I'm not a huge fan of Nikki Bella, and or just the Bellas in general, because it just reminds me of time of female wrestling that I wasn't a huge fan of, they did try to overcome that. They got better in the ring, and I think Nikki, Nikki specifically created a character that some people relate to or whatever, um, and they're great on those uh, on Total Divas and Total Bellas, and that, that's part of it, right? But every time she actually talks about wrestling on anything, like any interview, she comes off very sincere. And when you have people like Ronda Rousey talking about it's like fake fights for fun or whatever, <laughs> it makes you really like Nikki Bella a lot more than you probably should. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't even know what the hell we originally were talking about. Oh, oh, oh we started branching off of Daniel Bryan from Sami Zayn. Um, but we got we got our Bella mix into the news uh, for sure. Actually, a lot of that stuff is is good. To, well, not good to hear in certain aspects, but um, some information. Uh, and and uh, going back to Sammy, you know, I'm just wondering. Uh, I hate saying this, but you know, the reputation of Sammy being kind of a pain in the ass. And you know, either way, if 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 you're given the option, obviously. With him, it's it's his religion of why he doesn't want to go to Saudi Arabia, and I think that's completely understandable. But being well, it's not that he doesn't want to go. They told him he couldn't go. Was that it? Or I thought he was one of the guys that opt out immediately. No, they originally they told him he couldn't go because he wears the religious symbol on his uh, trunks and stuff, and his oh. kind of moon. Well, so that that, that, kind of, that yeah. would kind of piss me off as a wrestler. I understand why you wouldn't want me to do that, but I'm not going to fucking take off the religious symbol on my trunks. You know? Yeah, and then, I mean, that was part of Kevin Owens not going. He's like, oh, Sammy's not welcome, we'll fuck them. <laughs> Basically, he's like, well... Well, what, I I, what, I'm, what I'm gathering at, you know, even though he just won the IC Championship uh, with a lot of help from people to take it from Braun and then have a match with Daniel and beat him, you know, and you could say that's a push. He's definitely been a manager with two guys that everyone sees potential in, I, I guess, except for Vince, including himself, actually, with his faction. But still, he's been advancing and doing good stuff. But at, at the same level, we all know and, and think that Sammy could do much more. Do you think that him opting out of certain things doesn't help, at least, with his reputation in the back, granted if it's if it's warranted or not, Chris? 
especially at events. That's what it comes down to. You know, Vince. Yeah, I mean that's the thing though. Like he's huge with people like Daniel Bryan, right? And all of this, like the negative Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn stuff, comes from Jim Cornette's time at Ring of Honor. Uh, so I don't know, man. I feel like those guys put themselves through walls multiple times in, in WWE, and specifically Sami Zayn. He just kind of just goes out and does whatever they ask him to do, and he's never upset about it. He just kind of does it. But, uh, I mean, with this situation, like, I, I mean, I get why he wouldn't necessarily want to travel, right? Um, yeah. But, but at absolutely. the same time, you're the champ. But, you know, if that's the case, as a company, you just book a tie, uh, you just suspend him. You just strip the title of him. You set up a tournament. And you, you, that's how you build stars. I think that's what they're going to do, Chris. And it seems now. They shifted Shinsuke and Cesaro to be backing King Corbin, which I think fucking just sucks. Because uh, I I definitely at least like them with Sammy because Sammy had so much more credibility as far as being a you know a heel manager. But to be just now stuck with Corbin, I think that's kind of bullshit. Imagine being Shinsuke Nakamura, one of the best wrestlers in the past 30 years. And they're like, all right, you're going to be the underling. Baron Corbin. Uh, I'm sure he's happy with his surfing and stuff, but I think the same thing. And not only that, Cesaro with Cl- the yeah, of him, Honor, man. It's you like know? Him, him and fucking Claudio could wrestle fucking circles around Baron Corbin. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, at least with Sammy there, with all of those guys together, you're like, oh, they're all great workers. That's great. And Sammy's yep. a, a pretty good promo. So you're like, okay, I, I kind of get it. I mean, I don't get why you did that with Sammy Zayn and had him be a manager or whatever, but, like, I get it. Um, <laughs> but also, I don't get what they've done with Cesaro for a bazillion years. At some point, just put him and Sheamus back together and just have them be a fucking tag team because they don't know what they're yeah. doing with either of them. And, like, Nakamura can just be a guy. And maybe even do the Undertaker thing with Nakamura, where he only shows up on special occasions, maybe Russell's house shows or whatever, and make him very he special. He needs an old theme back, man, I'm telling you. That, he, that new one doesn't help. Because everyone still does the music, you know, <laughs> instead of what the fuck's going on. They just do what the original thing is. I mean, he still has that with the audience. I just, I hate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think both themes are good. It's just the heel turn wasn't they didn't fully commit to it, so it's... So, yeah, it, it didn't really matter. But, I mean, like, you know, if he came back in a big moment, if he utilized correctly, I, I feel like that's what Nakamura kind of is in this, at this stage in his career, is someone that could come back and have a really big moment for you. Right? Yeah. Like a really big match and have a really good match. I don't necessarily know he's the house show gonna wrestle for the IC title every week on SmackDown kind of guy at this point in his career. And that's nothing against Nakamura. I just don't feel like that... I mean, especially, like I said, they, and we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast. I mean, outside of, like, one match with AJ Styles and the match with Sami Zayn, like, no one's ever brought out Nakamura, or either that or they don't let Nakamura be Nakamura. Yeah. Slow <laughs> so, him down, man. <laughs> So remember, remember when they changed his his name from the King of Strong Style to the Artist? 
And we were like, what? No, he, no, that's, god damn it, fucking main roster bullshit. Yeah, and then they just had everyone else try to do his moves, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's weird. He's, he's fun to watch in the ring, even with his spots and stuff like that. And back in, if you watch his New Japan wrestling, I mean, he was so vicious with the matches with a lot of people that everyone likes that's in WWE right now with AJ Styles and a bunch of different people. And I think that, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this, it's just WWE. I think that he, as himself, he's kind of getting sucked back into the opposite direction, but kind of established himself as not just being a quote unquote Japanese wrestling talent because he's kind of more over when it comes to his, his character um, that he's just kind of, he separates himself if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And, but to the same extent, the character's got to win every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? You can't be the, you can't be like Jeff Hardy if you never get a win. Or um, Darby Allen, or etc. You get what I'm saying? You have to yeah. eventually get a fucking win. You can't just get fucked over constantly, and people care about you. Because now what people care about is the original theme song, which he doesn't come out to you, like you said. So <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, like you know, to the to the normal observer who probably didn't watch any of Nakamura's stuff from New Japan and just saw him in NXT was like, oh, this guy's cool and the crowd's really behind him. That's awesome. Like, that niche crowd. And then they got behind him. He went to the main roster and just got kind of shit on. Um, and I, I'm... And, like, even... Like I said, even if he's not going to turn it up to 11, I'm not expecting him to have, like, 30-minute bangers with AJ Styles or whatever in WWE. That's just not a thing that I, I expect. One thing I wonder, though, and I mean, he did get a title. Uh, he did win the Royal Rumble afterwards. He did go against AJ at WrestleMania. But I always wondered, even if and I think that John Cena, he completely was cool about it. He realized that he wasn't expecting the, sh- the, the spot that Nakamura does where it looks like he's doing a backdrop, but then he brings the body overwards and dropped him on his neck. But from Vince's standpoint, do you think that was something where it was like it definitely kind of pissed him off a bit i really don't because i just i mean it, historically vince just doesn't know how to book japanese wrestlers and that's when you look at someone like muda and you're like you could have brought him in versus taker and then you're kind of glad they never brought him in versus taker because he would have gotten decimated yep i agree or they would have just buried him and i mean when he was in nxt dude nakamura was money i mean he would like i said outside of the Sami Zayn match it wasn't like he was blowing the doors off anything but in, in comparison to how he was booked and how he's utilized made way more sense and to some extent i think nakamura maybe should be utilized as a special talent someone that comes in and murders someone um like at this point it doesn't matter i mean as long as nakamura is happy with where he's at it's not my 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 part to judge i mean the guy gave gave us a lot as wrestling fans like there's a fuck ton of good nakamura to watch out there it's just very sad because I felt like when he when he came out of NXT, that theme song hit for the first time, right? You were like, holy shit. And the, the crowd just went nuts, and then they have done every which way to fuck this guy. Same way as Asuka, to some extent, and, and Carrie Zane. Um, they, they just don't get it. They really don't. I mean, I, I think they don't understand that the white meat American baby face is not always what people want to see. Which makes absolutely no sense when some no, of the like, biggest... No, we like layers sometimes. <laughs> Ugh. 
What I was going to say, though, uh, kind of wrapping it up, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to Nakamura right now. Just get rid of Cesaro and fucking Baron Corbin and let him and Daniel Bryan have the long program that both of them have been pitching and wanting to do for a very fucking long time and get some badass stiff matches. Or I know he's on Monday Night Raw, but I think that if Shinsuke showed up on Raw and attacked Aleister Black, I think that they could have a great program, both being, you know, kickers and stuff like that. So there's people that you can put him against to have a high profile, you know, uh, thing. But right now he's just a lackey, you know, and he's kind of been a lackey for a while. And after a while, you're Dolph Ziggler and you're always kind of a lackey. <laughs> I mean, he's already in the Dolph Ziggler, Ziggler category. Yeah, and Cesaro, all those guys. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, but you know what? If they're making money and they're happy and they're in the middle of the card, it, it is what it is. I just know that all of those wrestlers definitely are way better than what's represented in WWE TV. Well, if they do a tournament for IC Championship match, get the good wrestlers. I mean, obviously, they're probably going to throw Corbin in there and whatnot, but I think it would be a fun thing to throw on because I don't. I don't really necessarily get bored of tournaments, so uh, it brings out great wrestling and there's a payoff. As long as you present it a, a good way and don't do some botched finishes, I'm down for what what is considered one of the more prestigious belts in WWE to kind of give it some of those wrestlers that they have on SmackDown, like Daniel Bryan, um, like Cesaro, and let them have some awesome matches. And it's opposite from what they're doing on NXT because it's not round robin, so... I don't know. Did they? When's the last time they did King of the Ring? Was that? Is has it been a year? No, oh my God. Baron, yes, kinda. Baron Corbin's still king, right? King Corbin or whatever. Yeah, do that, man. Well, I guess they, you know, with with not only do you win the king concept, but you actually win something legitimate with the IC belt. Um, I don't know. I something mean, something like that. If you were booking it as in people want to see good matches, you could set it up opposite sides, break the the faction up of Claudio and Nakamura and Sammy, because Sammy can't wrestle whatever. They strip the title of him. You put Nakamura and Claudio on opposite sides, or Cesaro, right? Mm -hmm. And then they meet in the final, and one of them wins, and then Sami Zayn's like, I never lost the title. What are you guys talking about? And then you have a built-in feud with good matches. And then you can you can have people like <laughs> Daniel Bryan involved in it, Drew Gulak. Uh, Chad Gable, I think, is still a part of SmackDown if they wanted to use him. Um, you know, there's lots of guys that can throw it into it and make it a fun uh, IC-based championship. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. But whatever the fuck, if, if Sammy, to, to round everything off and, and finish my statement, if Sammy doesn't want to come in due to this shit, then fucking, I, I, I have no problem. And he's a very sensible guy. He thinks a lot. I've seen him in interviews and stuff like that. So if this is how he feels, this is how he feels. And if WWE is going to say that anyone can go home, you know, anyone can go home. Do I think that he should have done it the day of, basically? Probably not. Especially when he's a champion. Maybe come in, get the belt off him real quickly. But that didn't happen, and uh, we'll have to go from here. I don't know when we'll see him back. I'm more, are, I, I want to see Kevin Owens. Are you saying that Canadians are a little finicky, much like Ally Bret Hart, as far as when they're going to drop the title and where they're going to drop the title? You know, uh, you, you just can't beat me in Canada. Uh, <laughs> in so I have a problem with that. All right, well, um, let's move on 
to uh, to do you want to do AEW first or NXT? Both of them were fun. Uh, it's up to you. I honestly don't care. They both were great shows. So whatever you want to do, buddy. All right, we're gonna do AEW first. All right, so um, this is not AEW. AEW Dynamite results. That's what it's supposed to be. What the fuck? This is an article for NXT. What is going on? Oh, no, no, no. I'm an idiot. All right. Thank you, Uprox. You guys do have a great format on your website, and I love your breakdowns. And I use them all the time. So sorry for being an idiot uh, just now. So we started off the thing with an awesome match, Chris. I know a lot of people did not like the ending, per se, but I really was a big fan of Cody and Darby Allen's efforts to have another just banger of a match and show that I think these guys have a lot of chemistry. I think Cody sees a lot in Darby Allen. Um, I love his aggression. Um, I love Jericho's commentary on him. He said something else. Um, you know, he, he said something. And he goes, it's not so much about the face paint like other comparisons with Darby. But some of the stuff that I see Darby do leading into moves and the amount of aggression he puts into it reminds me of what Keiji Muto, the great Muto, would do. Um, and I completely agree. You you see Finn Balor borrow that a lot, too, where it just – they put that extra just aggression in right before giving, like, something as small as, like, a um, – what's it when you go for the leg or the knee um, from behind that Ric Flair always did? Oh, god damn it. Like a shoulder block? Well, yeah, well, yeah shoulder block. Ch- chop block kind of chop thing? Chop block, thank you. But, you know, the way that Darby does it is he just, rah, you know, just attacks it like a motherfucker. So he makes up for his size so much by his presence. And I thought this was a great match. Um, I like the ending, how uh, Cody was, you know, tried to go for uh, Darby's finisher. It was blocked. Darby jumped up, did it himself, and then was slid in just ever so slightly for a three count um, that Darby thought, I guess he was pinning him. I know a lot of people had a problem with that ending, but I mean, that, well, what I said to you, this was brought up by Brian Alvarez, and, um, you know, he was talking about the similarities of of how they're breaking this down uh, with the variety of matches uh, leading up to what seems like could be Cody eventually becoming a heel and Darby overcoming him for a future storyline, maybe with the title involved, maybe the TNT title, for instance, and actually beating him. And someone, uh, you know, within the comment section on YouTube brought up the fact that very similar booking to what happened with Sting and Flair, where, you know, you go from a draw, you go from a little bit of shenanigans on the win for the second match, um, you go for a straight win, and eventually this kind of leads up to Darby getting a win possibly over Cody. But I like that Cody is turning on this aggression He's, he's not giving a shit if his wife gets annihilated in the match, like he's Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, and it's like a new, <laughs> level, it's a new level of aggression that I kind of – I'm seeing – remember, Cody is has been awesome as the babyface. But as a promoter, he's trying to get all these babyfaces to stand out by themselves. You know, he can't be that only person. And let's face it, as much as I love him as this, I, I think he's great. He's a fucking great heel, too, especially what he showed on the independence within NWA, Ring of Honor, and New Japan. And just being that foil within, uh, you know, uh, the Bullet Club and kind of wanting to try to take over being the leader and everything that happened. So 
I could see that being the kind of the end goal. And I love, it seems like Cody likes working with Darby and vice versa. So I like this match. I know a lot of people, like I said, didn't have a, didn't really like the ending, but these guys beat the living hell out of each other. And Darby Allen shows that based off his size, you know, he still comes off ferocious and like, he's trying to destroy you basically. And it's uh, it's appealing, I would say. But I love Cody and I love Darby. How'd you like this match? I like the match a lot for multiple reasons. Specifically, if you're going to have Darby lose, having him hit all of Cody's finishers and basically out-wrestle him to the point where Cody gets cocky and tries to hit Darby's coffin drop and gets the knees right to set up what would eventually be the finish of the match. I thought everything building up to this was great in a lot of ways the my problem with the finish is not that cody won or won by a roll-up it's just it looked like shit (laughs) like it looks very tired it just looked very bad um outside of that i mean if he will one up on like if it was a better looking roll-up i probably wouldn't care honestly um so it was like as far as the finish goes i mean it makes sense cody's the guy right now and you're trying to build darby and like i said darby put the figure four on cody that's been Cody's like move the past two weeks. Like they built in some things to the storyline where Darby was out wrestling Cody, and Cody's supposed to be the collegiate athlete, which Jericho talked about on commentary. I thought they did a really good job of building up this match. If you think about all of those different Jericho's things, so of, good. If if you think about all of those different little things logically that they kind of put in there, um. They did a really good job on commentary and building up the match and who these people were and how Darby is just giving it his absolute all to do anything he could win. He hit the crossroads. He put him in the figure four. He hit the, he tried to hit the coffin drop. Um, in my opinion, this was like the best case scenario because you can't – they don't know who the top baby face is right now. It's it, I mean, right now it's Cody, and I thought – I think that they thought the answer was actually John Moxley, who I still yep. just don't see as a babyface. As great as he is, it's very Terry Funk, where it's like, well, uh, a major some of the crowd is going to like him, and then some of the crowd is going to be like, eh. So you just always kind of come off better as a heel, I guess. <laughs> Which well, is the weird I- thing is, and and this is this is where our opinions kind of differ. Not me and yours, but ours to Jr. Because Jim Ross on the podcast, and if you guys haven't got a chance to listen to the podcast they do after Dynamite, uh, Taz does one with um, JR and also um, Excalibur. And just the banter between all three of them, they're all like old lady. Like, like It's its kind of like male um, uh, golden girls, if you will. They're just jabbing each other the whole entire fucking time. So it's real entertaining. But they also have a lot of informative stuff. Jim Ross is claiming this is going to be Moxley's year, especially when everything starts running. And he gave the Austin comparison again. And I agree with you that it's more Terry Funk and that he is not, it's not that he's not necessarily a top star, but I don't think that he is to that level. And what Jericho or Cody or what they're building Darby and a lot of other people, what they're actually, you know, becoming the top, uh, the cream of the crop, you know? Yeah, and I think to some extent it's that he doesn't have a really good heel to go against outside of Jericho. Like, they killed that right off the bat, so now he's kind of feuding with the inner circle, but everyone is feuding with the inner circle, so, like, this kind of... 
Yeah, yeah, they're basically the NWO. That's a good point. Um, but you get what I'm saying, like, John Moxley yep. went in and kicked everybody's ass. He kicked Kenny Omega's ass. He kicked the Inner Circle's ass. He won the title. He's demolished pretty much everyone. Until you can build someone that's like an actual threat to him, it's he doesn't have anyone to go against. That makes it very hard to be the type of baby face that he is going for, which I thought he had a really good run against the Inner Circle. But like I said, everyone is against the Inner Circle. It's almost like you should feel bad for the Inner Circle at this point. <laughs> as dumb as it sounds because like everyone hates them like what they're fighting like okay so let's, let's just talk about feuds so they're going against kind of against the best friends right luchasaurus and jungle boy they don't like they don't like cody <laughs> they don't like john moxley <laughs> They don't like Dustin Rhodes. They don't like the Young Bucks. It's like the majority of the roster hates the Inner Circle, which is good for a Hill group, but at the same time, you got to build someone for fucking... And maybe the answer is uh, Warhawk. That's exactly what I was going to say. Maybe it's going to end up being, you know... Uh, I don't know if it's title versus title, but like... Murderhawk. Uh, Sorry, I fucked that up. Murderhawk. But yeah, if, if Lance Archer... All of a sudden, there's there's a couple people, and they're building him slowly. Lance Archer wants to prove that he's the better champion, you know, once he wins the TNT championship, and I really think that he is going to win. Um, and then he go after destroying Cody, like Jake the Snake said. Um, he he moves on for John Moxley, is you know, and and that's the storyline, not not who takes both titles, but like who's the better champion, um, you know, and that's Lance Archer making a statement. Or you position Brody Lee into coming after Moxley, winding that title, and using his cult to beat the living shit out of him and put the numbers in his odds. And you have two guys that have worked together uh, with, you know, I, I was about to say Luke Harper, but um, Brody Lee and John Moxley. There are people that they can position against them. They just have to do it, basically. And not Sean Spears. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't, I just don't see John Moxley as a babyface. Didn't come off as a babyface, and I love Dean Ambrose, and I love John Moxley. Just, just, just make him. I, I'm not saying I, I, I know people hate the anti-hero, but just make him that guy that doesn't really show that he's a babyface or a heel. It's like he'll fuck up whoever. And I guess that is a bit Austin, esque but it's also like Sandman. I know he draws from many other people outside of Austin. You know. They can kind of have that guy that's like borderline. He'll fuck up whoever to get to the top, which is what they're going for. But it definitely comes off very much more like Terry Funk, whereas like, you know, when John Moxley turns that shit up to 11 and really goes full heel, you know, he's a fucking heel versus kind of where he's at right now. Same thing with Terry. I mean, when Terry turns that shit up to 11 as a heel, it's the best. But like when he was a baby face. Terry's it's, the best person to, to, to mold, and they did it great in Japan. But I think that we've talked about – they're definitely throwing elements when he talks to the fans, like a DDP, like someone that's happy about his fan response, stuff like that. I don't think he necessarily needs that. And you've been saying he doesn't need it at all. And it kind of go away from being trying to be the quote-unquote people's champion and you know be more of a, a lone wolf you know, and not really – yeah, if the audience likes – it's literally like Austin – the audience likes him great, but he could care less about them, and he's going to be cussing a storm out when he's fucking headed to the ring. 
to fuck someone up. I'll, I will say this. Do you think Moxley's on the same level um, in the company as Kenny Omega? Which maybe I, I, I would say right now he's fucking way above Kenny Omega since Kenny Omega's wrestling in fucking baby oil matches and not doing dick all. I <laughs> uh, love you, Chris. Always I mean, I, hey, look, I love Kenny Omega. He had some bangers with Okada, but then also a lot of other people had bangers with Okada. Show me something different. Kenny Omega should have been your superstar from day one. WWE tried to pay this guy out the fucking, like, a mass amount of money, him and the Young Bucks, to get them to come in. They started this company, and then you have fucking Kenny Omega doing, like, what was it, a hentai slide or some shit in the middle of the ring? I erased it. It's... You know what? I get that he wants to do a different style of wrestling. I get it. I, Kenny, I love you. So if you ever hear this, don't think that I don't like you as a wrestler. And I appreciate your ability to kick ass on Street Fighter Five. But, like, I think that people expected a lot more of Kenny Omega you, as their people, top guy. I think they expected a lot more than him being the, the quote-unquote big bout machine to being the wrestler's wrestler. You know, kind of like what in WCW, it seemed like Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero all, you know, try to be basically on that type of level. And that seems more of his like from interviews about winning the championship. And it it seems like he just wants to have great matches. And that's more of what he's worried about right now within his career. But I don't get it when he turns off the intensity and that style of putting on great matches and then can put the stupid comedic shit that's pretty unnecessary. Some of it's funny, but some of it's baby oil with his best friend that he basically got a job there, Michael Nakazawa. So, I mean, I could even let that go if Kenny Omega would have came in as a super, as the number one baby face, right? If they yeah. had gave him some kind of character, but they didn't. They put him no. in a feud against Dean Ambrose. He lost. And then they put him in a tag team with Adam Page, which Adam Page came out as the bigger star. <laughs> yeah you, you i mean you get what i'm saying like at some point kenny omega it, is kenny omega just what kenny omega is well kenny omega when you watch the elite and some of those stuff he comes up pretty fucking funny and, and, and as a fun character that's a little bit out there i just think if i were him i would study jericho circa 99 in in wcw um, to try to get some personality a bit and not being like I've criticized him as being like the anime villain. Ooh, like, like, you know, like he's Seto Kaba from fucking Yu-Gi-Oh or some shit. Um, <laughs> I can't That's, believe I pulled that on my ass. I mean, I think there's something to be said about that, though. And people kind of were endeared to what Kitty Omega was coming in. The fact that the problem is, is that we don't get that Kitty Omega. And they've given us kind of basically zero outside of the go home promos where you would say goodbye and good night or whatever the fucking the what do you say zoink zinc or whatever after that shooting wasn't that a thing yeah and, he did it tonight at, at Georgia it was kind of cool to see but I mean it's it's cool but like he was supposed to be the guy yeah <laughs> you know what I mean like. Cody was not necessarily, I don't think maybe, I mean, maybe Cody in Cody's mind or everyone else's mind, Cody was supposed to be guy, but when they were like, we're starting a company, this is going to be uh, our new company, we have Kenny Omega. I thought Kenny Omega was going to be their fucking guy. Like, they're Ric Flair. This is our belt machine. 
He's going to go in there. He's going to have great matches with everybody. He's going to be the fucking champion. Whatever. Jericho's going to come in. He's going to wrestle Jericho. Uh, that's what I thought was going to happen. And I do respect the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes for taking a little bit of a backseat trying to put over talent. The difference is, like, the Young Bucks and Cody have looked very good, and Kenny yep. Omega has looked very fucking average. Yep. I don't think that group's going to be around much longer. I can just tell that even with Adam Page, that's going to implode on itself to me. Um, and that's the craziest part is, like, we were down on Adam Page. I was definitely down on Adam Page. I was like, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with him. But you know what? They gave him a little bit of momentum, and he got that shit over. And, like, right now, if you're, like, if you had to ask me who's, like, the most over in the company, like, Kenny Omega would be, like, in number seven <laughs> on yeah. that list. Because, I mean, like, is he more over than Orange Cassidy right now? No, man, he's not. I hate saying that. <laughs> is he, if we're, is if we're he talking... more over than Jungle Boy? Is he more over than Darby Allin? Is he more over than John Moxley? Is he more over Sammy than Chris Kavar. Jericho? You see what I'm saying? Like, you're, he was supposed to be the guy. At some point, Vince is probably looking. He's like, I'm glad I didn't. I wish it would have been a completely different thing, obviously, but he's probably like right now he's looking at Kenny Omega like glad and shell out shell out that money for but Kenny. It's it's kinda like it's kinda like the Shinsuke thing, you know, when I know that we heard. It's like every time I hear him in interviews and they're asked like, Why aren't you in the title picture? Blah 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 blah. He's happy doing what he's doing. He's happy having matches and, and trying to help younger talents and he looks more in the future of him becoming a coach. You know, one one person that we forget that he very much idolizes outside of Japan wrestlers and like people like Sean and Bretton and whatnot. Jerry Lynn, who wanted to just put on great fucking matches and eventually just become someone to help out the next generation. So maybe he doesn't hold himself in those regards. But a year ago, he was the sting, if you will, of the one guy that everyone wanted that wasn't in WWE, you know, and that's uh, it's crazy. I mean, I'll give him that, but when you talk about being the guy that just wants to put on good matches, what's the good matches he's put on? That's a good point, too. I mean, he's had, besides the ones with Pac, I haven't really thought that much of him. Uh, yeah, outside of Neville just being fucking incredible and very underrated on that goddamn roster, and him and Omega had great matches. Outside of that, we're talking about hentai slides and, like, just, it's... And that fucking weird-ass match with Moxley, which was not very good, even for, like, a hardcore match. I mean, like like I said, if Kenny Omega is listening to this, I love you, Kenny Omega. I think you're one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. I just want Kenny Omega back. Can I get yeah. Kenny Omega back? Can I get the cleaner? Uh, can I get that version of him? I mean, I don't even need the cleaner. I just want good Kenny Omega, not, like, mid-card He's like wrestling like Jerry Lynn is a perfect example of what you're talking about because Jerry Lynn could be like in the main event with AJ Styles and has done it, right? But yep. he's always just Jerry Lynn, and that's how Kenny Omega is coming off in AEW, whereas in New Japan he was a huge fucking star. He came over here. They started a company. He was a huge star when the company started, and now he's just like a guy on the show. And don't get me wrong, there is no way you can't say an accomplishment of having been the current mega championship in the biggest Mexican, you know, wrestling organization with AAA, and then especially being the the world champion and the light world champion. Yeah, was he the IC as well too? In in fucking New Japan, those are huge accomplishments. But Jerry Lynn also 
won the NWA championship. He won the TNA championship. He won the WWE light heavyweight championship when they try to do that at one point. He's got some accomplishments under his belt, just like Kenny, but he just never went that next step. And I hope Kenny doesn't go in that direction. He could have been one of the biggest, like, honestly, I started to think that if he went through NXT and, and developed a character and was put in that system, he would have had great matches. And I think that he could have done really suitable on main or just put him to the main. But I don't, he obviously needs help because he's not much of a character. He's not, he's, he's all over the place. Well, see, I don't, I don't even know if he needs help. I think he's just literally taking a backseat and trying to help other guys get over, which I'm fine with. But I thought that he was the number one with a bullet for this company. He had the most momentum. He's the in, he was the NJPW champion. Yep. Which is not something gets gets given out to uh, guy jeans that often, and he worked his ass off to get it, and then kind of left, right? And we're like, okay, we're gonna get AEW, we're gonna get badass Kenny Omega, and what we kind of got was like him doing workout montages with Nakazawa. Like, that's the Kenny Omega we got. I mean, we kind of got a little bit of crazy Kenny Omega tease of the cleaner with with Moxley, but he lost. And then since then, he's just been doing tag matches and has been overshadowed by Adam Page. And Adam Page is fucking incredible. He's really nailing what they've asked him to do. And (laughs) he's great, (laughs) as we talked about. I was very low on him the first, like, few weeks. but Me too. You know, he fucking proved me wrong. So that's good. Kenny Omega has kind of like made me disappointed as opposed to proving me wrong. Yeah. And, you know, we'll have to see what happens in the future, but I agree with you. Um, let's start off this whole thing and talk about Cody and Darby Allen. Um, yeah. So like I said, Darby ended up losing uh, and Cody will advance to the finals in the TNT championship tournament. I think a lot of people thought there was going to be a possibility for Allen to win for him and Lance Archer to have, you know, one hell of a uh, Goliath um, style match. Um, But that didn't happen. But now this kind of, even though you think that this is paved out, there is that possibility that Dustin could win. And what they presented with the last match definitely made you think that. And then we would have gotten the brothers. Uh, Obviously it didn't happen, but still a a really good bat match. Like I said, back and forth and uh, just showing off, the skills of both guys, uh, I just think that they're two of the pillars of this company, obviously with Cody. I think that Cody, in a lot of ways, I've said this a bunch, is, and I mean, he might go completely healed, but like how Ric Flair was in WCW where everyone loved him and there was no way that him and Arne Anderson could be heels anymore because they were so well-respected. I, f- I feel like he has a lot of that type of credibility and I hope he completely squashes it and ends up becoming a pretty good heel eventually. I just think he's so good back and forth. But um, uh, any other last comments about this match, Chris? No, like I said, I thought the match was very good. I thought the finish looked a little shitty. But I got what they were going for, so I didn't you know, pay too much. Like, I, I'm not going to – the finish itself, like Cody winning, I don't have a problem with. I just thought it looked kind of bad. But the rest of the match was really, really good. I like Brandy – like you said, almost like a Miss Elizabeth kind of just being there. And I think there's some interesting things you could do with that. And she is just such a great baby face manager. So yeah. much better than whatever they were, <laughs> were doing with her before. That's not, 
I'm not trying to take anything away from Randy Rhodes and, and whatever they're doing with uh, Awesome Kong, but it's it's so much better <laughs> as her being a sympathetic babyface manager who's really there for her man, especially like yeah. the strap the strapping for instance when he got like the shit kicked out of him by uh, MJF just slapping him with that belt and she's there crying. It's just she's great at that role. Do that role. And you know what's great about it? Going back to it, it when if see it's you know with with Macho Man if you will you needed Miss Elizabeth and you needed Sensational Sherry, and we've already seen that she can be a Miss Elizabeth style character, but if Cody goes heel, she's really good at being a fucking heel manager too, and you know raking people's eyes and shit like that if she has to, and presenting herself more. So she's she's uh, versatile, I would say, as being a, a female valet. Oh for I would I would love the switch with this Penelope Ford and Cody Rhodes though. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> they gotta they gotta work that in. Because <laughs> Penelope Ford is also great. <laughs> but God, yeah, those ladies are both just absolutely gorgeous. They're, I mean, they're phenomenal at what they do too. I just the, you know the brainy thing just wasn't working for me with the uh, I can't even remember what the name of the faction was. It just it. No the. The the Death Collective or whatever the fuck it was called. Yeah, but, it was just it was just bad. But I mean, like whatever. New company, some bad shit happened. They got better. It's fine. <laughs> At least they moved forward and didn't drive it into the ground on like Lana and Bobby Lashley. It's gonna be fucking worse, right? Um, but yeah, no, I like the match a lot. I thought it was really good. Cody, I do think right now is their kind of their Ric Flair, like you said. And I, I like I said going into it, I thought that was going to be Kenny Omega. I thought he was going to be their Ric yeah, Flair. Yeah, I was related to. I was completely fucking wrong. <laughs> not that Kenny Omega is not like I said. Kenny Omega's fucking great. It's a great wrestler. What's that Okada match? That first of fucking the the all of the Okada Kenny Omega matches fucking phenomenal match is great um anything he did with suzuki like he's a fucking workhorse when he really turns it on i just do you think he should go a little uh crazier like kind of embrace that style that he does on being the elite and sometimes you know just get a little bit more wacky because it maybe would add a little bit of layers to his character itself and provide for him to have a new intense version (laughs) <laughs> an already intense version of himself within the ring. What I hope they're not doing is giving us like the Daniel Bryan of Kenny Omega, where they're just going to have him cruise at a certain level and then have a big run. Well, they could, which kind of seems like, because I mean, eventually it's Kenny Omega, right? So he's going to get, you would assume he's eventually going to get to the top, right? Maybe I'm yeah, fucking wrong. He's got to get that belt. I think that they're going to try very much like TNA, Man and WWE also when it, or WWF I should say when it first started to have their second belt mean almost as much as their main belt you know like the X division was towards the TNA World Heavyweight Belt and also um, you know uh, like the Intercontinental title was to the World Heavyweight title in, in WWF um, or even I guess the IWGP I don't know really which one is the secondary title between the Intercontinental and the Junior. But, you know, that same type of gravitas um, where if you win one, it's still damn prestigious. But obviously the heavyweight is the the biggest one or the world title, I should say. Yeah, I would say probably the junior title and the heavyweight title are, to me, the most prestigious of the, the two. Just because 
they do a really good job at separating their weight classes. And when someone's able to win both, it's a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I will say this, like if Cody wins this belt, it makes a lot of sense in this tournament, which is what we were getting into before, we, before I derailed us. Um, I could see Cody winning this tournament by hook or crook. Um, just because either if he loses, you you expect the feud is going to happen with Murderhawk, I'm guessing, right? Yep. Or if he wins and holds the belt for a while and loses, then you can build something off that to get him back to the title picture. Hey, how about and, um, how about uh, he wins and then the person he loses to is MJF? <laughs> that could put hey. a little uh, spike in the ass. Yeah, and, and uh, we're going to talk about a guy a little bit later that really impressed me uh, for the second time. I think this is like the second or third time I've seen him wrestle, and I thought he was fucking phenomenal in this match, even though it was a squash match. Let's let's get to that, actually. Um, before that happened, there was another Scorpio Sky video package focusing on him joining SCU. Uh, really good stuff, man. And is the writing on the wall, like, are we realizing, like, hey, Scorpio's with you know, SCU, but obviously we're looking at him within this company as being a pillar outside of it because let's say Tony Schiavone said it on commentary, Jim Ross, Taz, and Excalibur all said it at the after show. You know, I I love SCU. I think they're great, but could Frankie and Chris jump down to just two guys and, and, you know, Scorpio Sky start his singles run anytime soon, or do you think they'll keep him with this? Because it just seems kind of strange they put these packages every week you know talking about his career as a wrestler um what do you think to, to some extent i want to see him break away completely but i also don't mind that kazarian and christopher daniels are there if they're just a tag team and they're like no man go out and do you that's actually kind of a fun thing you don't see that often where they're like supportive of their friend you know the baby faces are supportive of the other baby face <laughs> I'm not completely against that either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he is the standout. He's younger. Kazarian and fucking Christopher Daniels are back when we're watching these uh, TNA asylums on Pluto TV or whatever. They're, they were there <laughs> in 2003. Yeah. Um, I mean, they don't have anything left to prove, right? But I mean, as much as I love Christopher Daniels and uh, Kazarian, Kazarian used to I mean, still is fucking incredible, but like going back and watching some of the old shit, it's actually for his size, it's it's nuts what he was able to do in the ring in the X division specifically. But and, and still to this day, he's he's a freak. They're they're all and he great. looks like he used to look like Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> he kind of he kind of did. Now that you pointed that out, uh, <laughs> damn it! Now I'm never gonna unsee it. Uh, no, I mean. I think Scorpio Sky is the future, but you can do the future without throwing out the past to the wayside. Like yeah. you can make you can make Kazarian and Christopher Daniels the old tag team that are still friends with Scorpio Sky and be encouraging. I don't necessarily want to see them turn against him or him turn against them. I mean that's just so old hat to some extent with SCU or like you know if you if you go that route, it would actually just be nice to see like. No, we're still friends. He just wants to do single wrestling, and we're still a tag team. I agree. But I like the package, and I like them continuing. And, 
I, I really like Scorpio Sky. I think that he's going to be a breakout star, like we've said. Um, oh, yeah. As far, like, as, the pa- as far as the package goes, I thought that was incredible. And I think that Scorpio has gotten better on the mic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, all that shit was good. Sorry. I got on a little tangent there. No, no, no. You're fine. And and I'm, I was just going to say there's certain – especially with these trios, there seems to be one guy that kind of uh, – just seems like they're going to be a bigger deal. Like even with the best friends, Orange Cassidy, I understand Orange Cassidy is over his shit, but I think that Trent Beretta, I could see him down the line being a, a future AEW champion. Uh, same thing with Scorpio Sky, and he's of course got two of the best of their era with him. Um, but it's not like that, like so much like with uh, Jungle Express, where we know that I think that both, um, you know, Jungle Boy. And uh, Luchasaurus could have big careers outside of themselves. Um, I love you, Marco Stunt, but, you know, you are basically – you're basically the Mikey uh, Whipwreck of, of AEW. So just have some fun and have some good matches and you – Eventually you'll win the title. Eventually <laughs> you'll win. <laughs> Maybe that will happen. Uh, I actually asked Taz that on Twitter. I, I was able to get back to him, and he said he liked that comparison. So – Hopefully he brings it up on his next uh, little thing. Um, uh, after show, I should say. But all right, so we have – you were talking about it. We had a package with MJF giving us an update to go into the Wardlow match. And MJF appeared from home saying that his hangnail was healed and that actually now his finger seems to be stronger than ever. Uh, but by while preparing to come back to AEW Dynamite, he he nicked his, his, his chin while shaving. And uh, he had a, a, a neck brace on, uh, just selling it, crying, and said that he will, uh, you know, work hard to get back to where he needs to. And, um, yeah, really, the joke is MJF is in fucking the, the danger zone right now, so he can't do shit. So that's the main reason they're not bringing him over here. Even though AEW now, for all the live recordings going forward, they're going to be testing everyone which is really smart. Um, I, I think WWE is now doing the same thing for live events, which obviously makes a lot of sense. Uh, so MJF, hopefully we can get him back soon. I like these little things, but it's not the same as having MJF back cutting promos, talking shit, or in the audience, uh, you know, uh, betting with Sean Spears and beating him. Uh, just all that funny antics. We need him back. But uh, definitely like the Wardlow um, Musa match. Um just Wardlow beat the shit out of him. I've never seen – he basically does the go to sleep, but he puts the person on the top like top rope and then forces them into his knee. He definitely fucked up this guy's nose. Um, and he also did the you know his new version of the F-10 uh, where he just completely goes from an airplane spin and just lets the guy do whatever. He's a monster. Um, I've said – you know, you could do a lot with him. You could do a Goldberg style run later on in his in his future. He's got that intimidation. He he reminds me of of Wrath uh, when he was having his undefeated thing in, in in Nitro. He just he looks like a fucking guy that you would not want to mess with. And uh, it's very it's uh, I, I like it. I like him a lot. Uh, how'd you like this match? And how'd you like MJF uh, giving us an update about his injury? So is Wardlow undefeated? Because didn't he lose to Cody? He only lost to Cody. Okay. He only lost to Cody, which sucks. I mean, but like also, once again, another reason I love Wardlow is 
Cody like kind of botched that moonsault and Wardlow caught his ass perfect. And I think I, I gushed over size, that. Man. Dude, he is a freak athlete, and I want to see this guy do very well because I think like the inevitable split of him and MJF could be great if done properly. Um, I don't know how the guy is on the mic, but just MJF is so good as a heel that that breakup is very Shawn Michaels diesel where you can build someone out of it eventually. Cause I mean, he, he and, is essentially and, and not so much uh, Vincent and uh, uh, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, definitely not that because he's way better <laughs> than Vincent. <laughs> Man, I feel bad because even AEW bags on Vincent, but they love him. They love him. He's in the bubbly bunch. He's in the bubbly bunch. Um, uh, I, I've met Vince. He's, he's like a really nice guy, honestly. So I'm not going to grab on him too hard. Not, definitely not on the level of Ted DiBiase as far as good wrestling goes. But fun what? to say the least. Uh, yeah, I thought this match was great. Uh, Musa, the only thing I would say is they put Musa against him. And Musa's like actually pretty big. Like height wise, for a squash match, I don't know if you noticed that. That was the only thing. Is like, Moose is also kind of a big guy. Um, there was one great part in the match where Jericho said that he didn't want to see Wardlow hurt this man anymore, which I thought was incredible. <laughs> like, he basically pulled the JR. Was like, somebody stop the damn match, but in a Jericho way. <laughs> Um, so it was great. I think they did a good job putting over Wardlow, talking about how much of a freak he was. I like that uh, when Wardlow gets really pissed off, he pulls the like kind of does the uh, the taker thing, or you you drop the singlet down. You know, you're like, oh man, overalls for days, and then when stuff gets real, you got to drop. You know, got to drop the straps. Thought that was pretty good. I, I like Wardlow. I, I hope he does really really well because out of like. Jake Hagar and, and some of the other big guys they have, I think there's a built-in storyline just because MJF and Wardlow, and I think that he's super fucking athletic. I, I hopefully I say this about WWE all the time, and they so prove me wrong. I feel like it's hard to fuck this guy up as long as they continue to book him the way they're booking him. You would think that that would be the case, and that's what we hopefully will get, but. Um... Who knows? Uh, we definitely have a lot of big guys. And if we ever get Jeff Cobb, like, fully, and Brian Cage after his injury, if, if all those rumors are true, you know, you're going to have some big motherfuckers that could really have some awesome matches. Um, like, think about Wardlow and, and the Murderhawk, man. So so with Brian Cage specifically, what what is going on with him? Because maybe you know a little bit more than me. He, he unfortunately tore his bicep completely off training to get ready. And he never confirmed that he was going to AEW, but there was so much stuff out there that he kept on denying. But obviously you deny anyways. But, you know, um, they were trying yeah, to pick him up. Yeah, we had heard it was pretty much confirmed from what I remember. and then He just, fucked, just... He fucked himself up. And then the, the I don't think the coronavirus and everything that's happened has helped things out. But he's out. I think that they said that he would be out um, of action for like four to six, four to six months, I believe, for a torn bicep. But I could be completely wrong. I, I feel like we've done this on the show. Yeah, before. no, we, we've, we've talked about it. It's been a while, though. That's why I was like, is that still going on? I, would, I, guess. Love, I would love him to fucking come on next week, man. 
that's someone that's not WWE that I think could do a really good job, you know, building himself like he has. Because, like, Brian Cage, he wants to be, like, a super buff version of fucking Benoit, but he also has kind of, like, that warrior or even Goldberg factor where he's unstoppable, but he doesn't limit himself by just doing stuff like that. He fucking jumps to the outside of the ring because he's been trained by Lucha Libre, and he's just a fun, explosive wrestler that, even though he doesn't sound the grass on mic, he just has that intimidation factor like a Benoit when he's talking, where it's like, he's going to fuck us up. Although I think he lost to Tessa Blanchard before he left. Uh, yeah, probably. Do you think he's, like, the best wrestler out of the impact zone in the past two or three years? Because I kind of I kind of okay. say that he might be top tier. I would I would definitely agree with that. If you know, if we're including Pentagon being a part of it for when he was in Austin Aries for when he was, but consistently being there, he was there for like a good two year period. Yeah, I would put him over Eddie Edwards, Moose, a lot of their stables. Um, Sammy Callahan as far as well, Sammy's a package that you would want to get involved in something like AEW for a completely different reason, just because he's such a hateable heel. Uh, but Brian Cage, I think, would definitely have to be at the tippy-top to me. I mean, Sammy Callahan, if they ever wanted to work that out, he would be the perfect, like, Moxley guy. Oh, well, him, and they have a great history. They're best friends. They came up together. So to see them fucking decimate each other and Sammy try to kill John Moxley, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and they had matches in CZW, so there's a lot of shit. You could probably, I think they had matches in CW, CZW from what I remember. So there's a lot of shit you could build off of there. All right. So I just found, and this is from March, uh, injury updates on Brian Cage. I know that Rich Swan's also out, but um, uh, where's it say? Felt much worse than it looked from what Van Dam said about it. No, uh, no, 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 no. Why can't you just give me the exact? Yeah, see, I just remember he got injured at that pay-per-view and then came back. And then... Didn't yeah, Sammy... he tore his bicep almost completely off during it. Yeah. And then we haven't heard anything about him. And I, I would... Ass- I mean, I'm assuming he's got to be close to being healthy. But we... I mean, obviously, shit. It says, it says May or June he has potential if he can heal it. But... It seems like that would be like a John Cena heel time. But then again, Brian Cage, has, he looks like he's pretty fucking healthy. So Yeah, I was like, yeah, the, the guy, the one guy that could probably do the John Cena heel time would be Brian Cage. The guy's fucking jacked. He's in, definitely in good shape. Yeah, I, I would love there, – there's some guys, you know, certain ones from that have been cut from WWE, Brian Cage. There's a couple people that – they got I'm very excited to be a part of the company. Um, Luther will have to stay on uh, AEW Dark, though, and uh, let these other guys go. I, I haven't even seen Luther in fucking years. I saw him so. on the Manitoba Melee they were about to talk about. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that Manitoba <laughs> Melee. So, last week, the, the Bubbly Bunch, which is, this is the thing, they are the NWO, but like the newer, like the new age version, if you will, that uses TikTok and shit. But, they're bad guys. They they're they're all sludge balls that are you know ruthless and whatever, but they joke around and they're cool and it's kind of hard to like dislike them. 
And with the new bubbly bunch, uh, they decided, you know, Chris Jericho's mad that Sammy Guevara apparently won the flim flam dance challenge and that he had a new challenge called the Manitoba Melee in which everyone took punches at the camera and it was a different person. So I didn't know where they were going. I, I thought they were just going to do it to each other and then it was going to get more intense and maybe Sammy and Chris would like really like go back and forth. No, this went all over the fucking place. Um you know, and having people like Vicky Guerrero was the ending, Kevin Smith, Gabriel uh, Iglesias. They have one of the guys from Tiger King on it. They had Duff McKagan from fucking Guns N' Roses. They had Lou Ferrigno, who used a goddamn taser. Um, just all fighting, uh, you know, via this, this, this wonderful fucking video that made me laugh hysterically throughout it. And at the end of it, like I said, Vicky was the last one like, oh, really? And she just started laughing and giving that evil look. And when they went back and talked about it, Chris Jericho was like, Chris, Chris Jericho, was was that Lou Ferrigno with a taser? It kind of reminded me of, of, <laughs> um, of, of Anchorman after they had that battle. Uh, and they went back and was like, man, Rick killed a guy. Yeah, man, I think you should lay low. You killed someone would have tried it. You know, that whole entire concept. I love these guys, dude. Uh, I mean, it's it's Chris Jericho, and all the other guys are great. You know, LAX is one of my favorite tag teams. They have been for the last couple of years. Sammy, I think, has unlimited potential. And I feel like Jake Hager is kind of coming into his own. I like how they build him up for that fight with Moxley as being, you know, the MMA fighter that, that's past World Heavyweight Champion. And But he has a little bit of personality in this, and I thought it, I, I just think they work out pretty well. And they're cheaply made, but not in like a negative way. They don't look expensive. So I really love you pointed out the fact that it was like Rick killed a guy with a trident because um, I was I was listening to the major wrestling figures podcast. Jericho was on. Um, By the way, check that out. Support support uh, your former tag team champions of Zack Ryder and, uh, you know, Brian Myers. Um, But anyways, he was on the podcast and he was talking about the Loba the Bubbly. Originally, he did like a Spinal Tap joke. Where you remember the olives in Spinal Tap, where he's like, "Oh, this little guy here, <laughs> one had pimento yeah. cheese and one didn't." So he did that, and like it didn't catch on, and they kept having audio issues. So he did that, and then he grabbed it and he said a little bit of a bubbly, and he was like, "It was, it's literally just the joke from Dumb and Dumber." I don't know how it got over. So when you <laughs> when you said the anchor man, it kind of makes sense that it's just Jericho. I feel like Jericho is just good is at everything. Is that Lou Ferrigno with a taser? <laughs> yes. Why did he even need a taser? He's a Hulk. <laughs> it is very much that. But knowing that, you know, when Lloyd pops the uh, the champagne cork and it hits the owl and it kills it, and he's a little bit of the bubbly. That's where that came from, apparently, according to Jericho. So, <laughs> Which the more you... Uh. Um, this was absolutely incredible. I loved it. Like, Jungle Boy showed up in a Jurassic Park scene and got punched in the face at one point. Yeah, and then he went back on a fucking rope and came back and punched it. It was awesome. I love, I love, uh, I really thought what they were going for just when they did it was, uh, I didn't know they were going to keep on going, but the male librarian, I forgot what his name is, when he got punched, I thought he was like, where, what, where the fuck did that come from? Like, wh- what's going on? And that was going to be the end of it, which would have been funny by itself. But then they just kept on going, and more and more people, and it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, Kevin Smith and what, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were both there. 
Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, Jay too. and Silent Bob. Yeah. yeah. Jay, what, uh, Kevin Smith hit a headbutt. Like, I, I thought it was just a lot of fun. Whatever. It was a dumb, goofy thing. But, like, in a world where Matt Hardy exists, we just have to accept that dumb, goofy things happen, right? Yep. <laughs> it's and a goddamn Manitoba melee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the Jericho's dad was in it, too. That was pretty funny. Oh, yeah, that's true. You tell he had his Rangers jersey on and it was, like, dropping gloves. That was that was pretty good, honestly. As a hockey fan, that was pretty good. Yeah, good, good shit. I, I enjoyed this. I can see some wrestling fans being like, this was super dumb. And I'm like, did you see that Vince McMahon segment from the SmackDown you know, a couple weeks ago? But um, <laughs> I could see I could see it both ways. This is really wrestling. Oh, fuck it. Uh, the best friends with Orange Cassidy um, at their side defeated Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford in a no DQ match that still had tagging. Never understood how that fucking happens, but whatever. Um, Chuck Taylor pinned Jimmy Havoc after an awful waffle onto the pile of chairs. This match was unneedingly <laughs> chairish, I should just say. I mean, it's kind of like how I felt about WrestleMania with that ladder match. Like, God, like no momentum. They're just bashing the shit out of each other. You know, Jimmy Havoc is a monster, scary dude. Um with a little hair flippy thing, but, you know, just comes off very aggressive. The uh, the interaction between Penelope Ford and Orange Cassidy was pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, they just I, – I, fe- I, I felt the worst for uh, Trent Peretta. I felt like he got his fucking ass kicked most of the goddamn time. But, yeah, the best friends end up winning and defeating Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. What is this really – Jimmy Havoc, I don't think it really matters as much. Kip Sabian keeps on losing a lot. And he's supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, doing big things. And like we've said a bunch, his valet and girlfriend, fiance, if you will, Penelope Ford seems to be more of the centerpiece when she's presented on these matches. But this is a fun, stupid match. Kind of reminded me of, like, back when they did chair matches after how popular TLC matches were with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian. Not a lot of uh, grace to it, but a lot of uh, chaos, if you will. So how did you like this match, Chris? So I like this match a lot until they got into the corner and looked for a tag. After the whole match wasn't a tag match to begin with. It's a fucking no-DQ match. The first five minutes of this match, there is no tag. There is no tag team. They're just It's just a tornado tag. They're all fighting all over the place. And then all of a sudden, someone's standing on the apron holding the fucking tag rope. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Sorry, that's just bad. But the rest of it was great. Like, I, I think Trent Barretta is in, incredible, like you said. Um, I think a lot of people have thought Trent Barretta is incredible. I mean, he's in, he's been in WWE. He's been in, in New Japan. He's, he's kind of been all over the place. When, when's the next step going to happen, I guess, with Trent Barretta? Or who's going to let him have that next step, I guess, is a better question. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Orange Cassidy's there. Penelope Ford's great. I don't really care that much about Kip Sabian. I hate to say that, but, like, not a huge fan. I think he's, like, pretty good in the ring. I just, outside of that, never been a huge fan of his. Would you um, say least interested out of all of those people involved in the match? Yes. And I was going to put him slightly above Chuck E.T., but, God damn it, Chuck E.T. tries his heart out. <laughs> He really does. <laughs> and after that promo, was it last week that Chucky e. T had? It was pretty <laughs> good. You know what I mean? Like, he does try. <laughs> Chucky e. T tries. 
I feel like Chucky e. T is giving me 100% every time he gets in the ring. So I have to have a, a little bit of love for Chucky e. T. So, yes, I would put Kip Sabian. Well, no, I'd put Jimmy Havoc at the bottom just because that's un- – unfortunately, that's just where Jimmy Havoc is going to fall in this company. And also, don't feel too bad because where the fuck is Joey Janela? He's having a match uh, next week, I believe, with um, – the fuck was it? I don't know. It's going to be a crazy one. I think it's listed later on, but um, he's coming back. Maybe I'll have to look that up, actually, but I heard about that. So we had a video segment at um, Dr. Britt Baker's uh, office. Uh, she introduced her makeup artist, who uh, she called Reba. Uh, that was actually uh, past TNA wrestler, Impact wrestler, uh, Rebel. Uh, I don't know if that means she's she signed or anything like that, or she's just used for this. Uh, maybe she knew Britt outside, but it was pretty funny when she explained, like, uh, yeah, my name is Rebel. Uh, she always screws up my name. And she seemed to kind of have some true feelings um, about Britt. Britt, Britt uh, found out and then changed her tune, and then she talked about how great Britt was. Uh, then Britt talked about how some people can't be role models. And use photos of Tony Schiavone to illustrate her points. Uh, she was talking about, you know, if you're fat, lose some weight. And God, it was so, so cringe against Tony, but he's going along with it. Um, and, you know, just, you know, if you have certain aspects of yourself, you're not going to be able to make it, you know, that much as a role model. And if you have crooked teeth, it's something to get rid of. And, you know, it was all Tony, a bunch of, it was pretty funny. The way they're setting this up is is pretty funny. The whole work wife thing, you know, Tony was on uh, one of the last uh, being the elites in which he was on, he was FaceTiming um, Britt Baker and they were going back and forth. And then Brandy walked in and Britt was like, who's, who's in the room with you? And he's like, Oh, it's Brandy, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, Oh, okay, well I got to go. And then started texting him, but he kept on trying to just li- read the text and accidentally press the button where all of them were being said out loud, where it's like, why are you around that stupid bitch? Blah, 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 blah. So um, it's it's funny when it keeps up to it, and then it goes back to Tony, and Chris Jericho's like, so what the hell's the deal with that? He's like, I don't, th- I haven't put on that much weight, and I don't have a snaggle tooth. Yeah, I don't know, maybe I made her mad, I need to text her. The whole thing's just funny, man. It's it's a good bit. And if anyone gets offended by it, just fuck off. It's a fucking heel building herself as being a heel. And I thought it was I thought it was a fun segment. I hope Rebel actually gets some uh, some work too. I think that she would be a good, you know, she's she's a bigger uh, lady that that looks like she could legitimately fuck you up. And uh, yeah, but even if she's the the, the makeup artist, Reba, how'd you like all that? I mean, by when you say get offended, what do you actually mean by get offended? About calling out Tony for being fat and fucking having a snaggle tooth and saying that you can't make it. Not all, every person can be a role model, especially if you're not attractive. All that type of shit that little babies would bitch about. So just heal shit. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, okay, that's what I was getting at. I was like hoping I didn't miss something that was super fucked up, like the ramen noodle flip or whatever the fuck Jerry Lawler did the other week. Um, I was just making sure I didn't miss anything. Like, yeah, calling someone snaggle to make fun of their weight. Like that's like fucking Ric Flair. Shut up, fat boy. You know, like that's just heel shit. (laughs) That's just normal. I like this a lot. And I love the weird Britt Baker, Tony Schiavone thing. 
uh, it, it harkens back to Miss Elizabeth and Mean Gene, where eventually someone's going to be like, talking to my girl. <laughs> mean Gene. You know, it has that feel. And, uh, and Tony, I also, I really, really love Tony being like, oh, no, I don't know. I hope she's not mad at me. I'll text her. <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I don't know. I don't know how you couldn't like this. Tony Schiavone is playing this role perfectly, and it has added so much to the Britt Baker character where she's being a super heel and then makes fun of Tony Schiavone, but then also is like, so what's up, Tony? And then slides into his DMs like an ex-girlfriend or something. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck. I love it. Here, but it's great. I fucking I love, love it. it. Uh, all right, so we had a match with Sean Spears uh, going against Baron Black. Uh, I definitely don't think it's helped or not. Yeah, I don't think it's, like, helped the fact that he hasn't had Tully out uh, with them cutting promos for him. I just – he's basically the same personality that he used to have, but he's a heel. Um, But it was a squash match, and Spears used the sharpshooter, and uh, Black tapped out. Um, I just – apparently he's now claimed the sharpshooter. Well, Cesaro already did it. Uh, a million people already fucking do it. Uh, two guys actually in a tag team already do it, so I don't think you're claiming anything. And just because you're Canadian doesn't mean that you should be using the fucking sharpshooter. Get original. Jesus. Anyways, what do you think about this match? I mean, if I was him, I'd just put Tex Cloverleaf on and then talk shit about Dean Malenko. That's how you get yourself over. <laughs> That's all you had to do. No, I mean, I thought the match itself was fine. I mean, it's just a simple squash match, nothing big. I'm not a huge Sean Spears fan, haven't been since he was in NXT or WWE. I think he's a good wrestler, but I think that's just kind of all he is. I don't see anything there, and without Tully there to help push him, he's just kind of a guy. And I know they're trying to build him, trying to find a tag partner as a storyline, that kind of gimmick, but uh, yeah, I don't care. I don't either. All right, uh, Marco Stunt was interviewed backstage. He said he knew that a lot of people don't think he belongs, uh, but even with Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy unable to be there right now, he wants to prove himself. And so who the fuck does he decide to prove himself with? Brody Lee. Terrible idea. Terrible idea, Marco. Lee just basically annihilated him, threw him outside, just butchered him, brought him back inside, and hit Stunt. Uh, pinned him after a giant powerbomb. And that was about it. Um, I don't think now, I guess beforehand, I thought that Brody Lee was courting, uh, you know, Marco Stunt to join the Dark Order uh, with giving him so much attention after his matches. But I think he just wanted to murder him. So uh, good on you. Did you have anything in the back of your head that thought that maybe Brody Lee was going to lose Chris to Marco Stunt? No, but I do have something in the back of my head that thinks they're going to make a Vince McMahon joke where somehow Marco Stun is Brody Lee's son. I would love that. Well, it's, it's very, it would be very much a hornswoggle joke, but I feel like they might go there. Can he come, can he come dressed out as an miniature Shane McMahon? <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> Father! Uh, no, I mean, I, I did not think that Marco Stun had a chance in this match. <laughs> but I like seeing... Would. I like seeing Marco, though. <laughs> I like Marco's stud. Me too. I really like your your uh, was it was it Mickey uh, Mickey Whip, Whip Whipwreck. Yep, 
Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah, I think that's uh, I don't know why I said the hell, why the hell I said Mickey, but yeah, Mikey Whipwreck. I think that is a perfect example of what he could be in the future. I like Marco. Um, yep. Yeah, Birdie had to kill him here. That's just what had to happen. Sorry, Marco. R.I.P. Uh, by graffiti-covered wall in the desert, John Moxley talked about the things he th- is thankful for. Then he promised to be at AEW Dynamite next week. Uh, he, he he alluded to the fact that, you know, kind of things have been very slow. Obviously, some of it's out of his control, but a lot of it has been his performance, and he wants to, you know, kind of reequate the reason why he is the champion and he would be on next week. He was obviously somewhere in Vegas where in which he lives over by someplace that had graffiti, but a uh, pretty good promo. And I'm looking forward to seeing Mox on next week. Are you excited about that, Chris? Yeah, be- mostly because I don't know where he's going. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what he does and I'm sure we'll cut a, a, a promo. You're talking about Moxley, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see what they do. I, I Who the hell is he going to wrestle? What is the lined-up promo? Am I missing this? I like that he said his dogs were listening to some Metall- eating some Metallica CDs. Or he's loading, he's loading his dogs in some Metallica CDs. You remember that line? In Driving no. to Dynamite? Yeah, he's like, I'm going to load up my dogs, put some Metallica CDs in, and drive to, <laughs> drive to Dynamite, which I thought was pretty funny. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, we'll 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 see what what, what the champ has for us uh, as far as next week. Um, then we had the main event. And, he he what? did say, "Don't forget to call your grandmother." That was awesome. <laughs> that was very important. That's he, he does have a sense of humor, man. That's a little bit different. It's a little bit off, and that's why I like about it. It's that's that type of stuff, Chris. Really is stuff that reminds me of Piper, like just random fucking weird sayings. Just be like, what the hell? Makes you laugh afterwards. Yeah, for for yours being Piper minus Terry Funk, where it's just that one weird random line that makes you think the guy's actually crazy. Which I mean, Piper and Terry Funk they're cut from the same fucking cloth, right? Yeah. So (laughs) I think both both of them are great comparisons. Both of them are definitely both of them have definitely been said to be influences of his. So I mean, it makes a lot of fucking sense. Yeah. Uh, because they're crazy. Uh, Lance Archer going against Dustin Rhodes to advance to the finals of TNT Championship Tournament. Um, this was a brutal match. Uh, Dustin got color at one point, uh, and Lance was just beating the shit out of him throughout everywhere, intimidating Brandy, you know, just not backing down. At one point, QT um, Marshall came out. He was going to throw in the towel. Cody came out and stopped him and then started considering the concept of doing it himself. Uh, but Dustin didn't want him to and begged him not to. While they were arguing, Archer pulled Dustin back into the ring and repeat repeated slammed his head against the map before pinning him. Pretty brutal way to end the match. That's not a finisher that he does. You know, it was just him sending a message. And now Jake the Snake's prophecy is going to be unfolded when everyone rushed the ring. Uh, Lance Archer didn't move a muscle. He just stared at Cody the whole entire time while he was trying to help his brother. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get Archer against Cody. How'd you like this match? And who do you think is going to win and be the first TNT champion between Lance Archer, the Murderhawk, 
and Cody Rhodes, who's, by the way, you can go by Cody Rhodes now. He won that fucking back. I don't know if they've used the graphics yet because this might be pre-recorded, but when they go live, he's now Cody Rhodes. So that's pretty cool, by the way. Yeah. I mean, we all call them Cody Rhodes anyway, so it doesn't, didn't actually matter. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like, no one stopped calling. I don't know what WWE thought they were going to get away with when he's Dustin Rhodes' song, like, son. No one's going to stop calling him Cody Rhodes. Like, whatever. That's That whole shit's stupid. Um, I thought this match was actually great, and Dustin... Um, it was fucking incredible and I thought they told a good story of making Lance Archer seem like this unstoppable monster but also making it believable that, that Dustin could get a win could somehow pull it out and that's just fucking great storytelling on his part honestly and I love kind of the finish with, with QT have the towel he's thinking about throwing it in and Cody just ran down he's like hey we've already been fucked over by a towel one time this year it's all. <laughs> um, Don't need to be it. doing that again. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved it, and uh, and the standoff with Archer, kind of like you said, harkening back to uh, what Jake the Snake Roberts was saying. I think maybe you have to put it on the Murder Hawk. Right. Uh, that's gonna be devastating for Cody. It is, but it depends on how you go from there. Like. I could easily see, like, maybe Jake doing something nefarious to Brandy or the Murderhawk getting a hold of Brandy to get him super heel heat. Um, because they seem like they're trying to involve her in the storyline a little bit here that it might cost Cody the match somehow. Even if Cody is, like, completely over or, or just outshadowing him. If there's just that one thing with Brandy that could be like his downfall or whatever, so I think that's like a pretty good story, and I think people will believe it. And, and also, Cody's such a great baby face right now. I'm sure you can kind of promo, and then you know you just put him in a cage next time. It's fine. No one cares. I agree with you. Um, so one last thing about AEW before we move on to NXT that I wanted to mention. Last be what well, we actually had a new episode of being the elite uh the 201 episode proving they're going to keep on going a conversation matt and nick joked about throughout the episode but i think they have fun doing this and as long as they do they're going to keep on making these uh these videos but the big thing was uh and they kind of they were both on their front porch and they both started noticing something in the sky written and they're like wait what does that say and then it clipped out and then at the end of it they came back to it and in the sky, very over-digitalized, uh, which looked ridiculous, was FTR. FTR, originally from the Young Bucks, was a nickname to the Revival that was Fuck the Revival. They embraced it and put it as Forever the Revival. They're now called the Revolt, and apparently this is going to be happening, and they're going to go pretty quickly into this um, into this feud. So we're, it looks like the Revival's coming to AEW. And we're going to have them going against the Young Bucks uh, sooner than later, probably letting them out at some point in the next couple of weeks when they're going back to being live. I don't know if that means that the Revival won't be able to perform at the uh, Crockett Cup once they have that back up and running for NWA because they wanted to do that. Or they can do both. No idea. But it looks like it's not been confirmed. Based on all this, we're going to be getting the Revival and the Young Bucks uh, soon in the future rather than later. What do you think about that, Chris? 
I think it should be a pretty good match. I will say that uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm not the hugest fan of the revival. <laughs> I'm not on the Cornette train on the revival. Um, but they are good workers. I just never really saw the, I guess, the hype, even going back to NXT. Um, they're phenomenal in the fucking ring. So if you're like the Young Bucks and the Revival are going to have a good match and maybe they'll draw out that kind of kind of what Cody and Dustin were able to draw out where it's a little bit more of an old school tag match with some good storytelling and some good high spots. I could definitely see that. I just, I'm not, I'm not. Well, as you think they're going to go, they're going to go mimicking rock and roll versus midnight or maybe the rockers versus the, uh, you know, the brain busters. I feel like that would be the, the the thing they would base it off of. I mean, I think if you're if you've watched like modern tag team thing, the thing you would base it off of is the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks, right? Yeah. So you get your high spots, but you still get Nick selling. You can have Nick get beat up beforehand by Adam Page or something a couple weeks before, and then still selling that, that back. Yeah, still selling that back, pulling that rocket. That is very Rock and Roll Express, though. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, but also the Young Bucks are just very much Rock and Roll Express in general, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't have anything against the Revival. I think they're great, and I could see why people would be super into them. They're just, like, I don't know. They they never really move the meter for me. Like, I don't put them, and, and whatever. Like, you can say whatever you want about the Usos or the New Day or whatever, but at least as a tag team, I just always was more high on those guys than, like, say, the Revival. It's, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You're just being honest. But I am kind of, uh, I'm curious uh, to find out what happens. Um, but, yeah, I'm, we had. Uh, I, I'm cur- I will say this. I'm curious just because everyone puts them over so hard as being this great talent and if they're able to go outside of the the world of wwe and really show it to me like even the world of nxt i'm fucking really looking forward to that because if like they're as good as jim Cornette and a bunch of other people say that this fucking young bucks revival match that we've been kind of looking at for a long time should be um, incredible yeah no i agree trying to find out the updated bracket for the cruiserweight championship uh, tournament. We'll have to. I think I found it. So we'll, when we get there, we'll talk about it. But uh, NXT, a lot of great wrestling on this man. One segment definitely threw me off a bit. That we'll get to. Um, I'm not gonna say it's like Bailey. It's your life. But I thought it was one of the uh, the lesser things that I liked, and it, <laughs> it had rest. It had wrestlers that I actually liked within it. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but anyways, so we had the uh, first. Uh, interim um, NXT Cruiserweight title tournament match between Isaiah Swerve Scott going against El Hilo Del, Faz, uh, Del Fantasma. And uh, these guys, obviously, if you're a big fan of, of Lucha Underground and MLW, um, you've seen them go at it. I mean, Killshot and, um, and uh, whatchamacallit, uh, man, uh, King Cuarto had quite a few matches. They have chemistry together. They fought with with you know uh, Shane Strickland and uh, Helio del Fantasma without his mask actually over in MLW, so they had a good match. Um, I mean, when you have chemistry like this, it makes sense. And uh, really weird, but you know, remember this is round robin. Uh, Swerve Scott defeated um, Helio del Fantasma. Fantasma already had a win, 
Isaiah already had a, a loss, but really good cruiserweight match. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Chris, what did you think? So with Swerve getting the win here, it makes me think that he might be in the finals, honestly. I think it's like the comeback story. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. this was his last opportunity. So now, like, you have the story of, like, he's kind of in, but not really. Um, and it's really good to see him kind of get a push because I think it was a couple of weeks ago, me and we were like, what the hell are they doing with with Swerve? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I thought this match was great. I'm a little surprised they put Phantasma in this tournament in general. I mean, not like completely baffled by it, but there's some questionable decisions as far as pushing people in a round robin tournament where people are going to have to take losses like New Japan style in America. Uh, I, you know, there's a correlation of wins. I, I don't know. I guess it's it's kind of the fan stigma, if that makes sense, as far as like uh, how american wrestling is perceived versus like you know the g1 or something oh absolutely let us go over these standings i have them in front of me uh so group a group b remember like we said round robin um each person has to go against every other person and once all the matches are done whoever has the best score will go against whoever from group a against group b group a Kushida has one win, uh, zero losses. Jake Atlas, same thing, one win, zero losses. Drake Maverick has one win, one loss. That's something that we'll be talking about later. Tony Nese has two losses. And in Group B, Akira Tozawa has one win. Um, Isaiah Swerve Scott has one win, one loss. El Hilo Del Fantasma has one win, one loss. And Gentleman Jack Gallagher has one loss. So that pretty much is it. Um, I don't know, man. I'm still thinking Phantasma and Kushida, but they'll probably throw some other stuff. Swerve is obviously from Group B, another person I could see wanting uh, that, like you were saying. But uh, what do you think based on these standings? I think Kushida versus someone. We'll go with that. But, uh, I mean, Swerve, like you said, from Group B, I think Swerve is a good option just because of the way it seems like he's getting booked and how these tournaments normally go but i could be completely wrong who knows well excited about it regardless uh, i've definitely been enjoying these matches um all right so let's keep on going down with nxt after that we had a promo that earlier in the day dominic dijakovic um you know, was talking to someone and took issue with Johnny Gargano's words last night, uh, last week, I should say, of him being the best and on top and all whatnot, and challenge him to a match. So we'll get that next week. Do you think that I've honestly, both guys don't have the greatest personalities, Chris, or, you know, Johnny's gotten better, but that should be a fucking badass match, I would assume. Oh, yeah, it'll be one hell of a match. Uh, Dijakovic's just kind of the guy you throw against someone when you just need a, a match, it seems like. He's like kind of the NXT's Dolph Ziggler at this point. Yeah. 
I could see that, yeah. Um, during the commercials, uh, El Hilo del Fantasma fought off the, the mass kidnappers again, this time inside the Performance Center, and whooped all their asses. It was pretty good. Uh, so I still don't know where that's going, but it's it's still pretty intriguing. But Phantasma seems to be pretty beastly and uh, beating these uh, these these gentlemen luchadors in suits. Uh, what do you think about this? Where is this going? I have no idea, but why have him lose if you're going to have him whip the shit out of everybody later on in the show? I, I guess with the idea that he can still come back within the round robin tournament, but yeah, that that's that's a good point. That's a definitely definitely a good point. Like if the idea is that he's a a monster that's gonna escape these kidnappers, then just have him fucking win. And put if you want if you if you want to do something down if you want to you want to have Swerve, just don't book that match. Put him in the separate group. Yep. I mean, it's well, a tournament. You can. It, hey, it's a tournament where you make up your own bracket. It's not like they drew out of a fucking hat. <laughs> Chris, they have to put all luchadors together in the same storyline. That's just how it works with WWE. Yeah, they're all now part of the Lucha House Party. That's still just an ongoing house party. Oh yeah, Kushida's coming back. He's going to be the leader. <laughs> all right. So we had a match with. Uh, <laughs> I was. I'm sorry. My immediate mind is like when El Generico comes back. <laughs> now we haven't seen oh Sammy Zayn. Oh my god, that would be awesome. He's a leader. He's a leader <laughs> of those luchadors. That would be so great. They're never yeah. gonna do it. They wouldn't do that, but it would be so great. Now that he's done with the orphanage in uh, Honduras, <laughs> El Generico comes <laughs> back. <laughs> Oh, and that brings Kevin Owens back to NXT because he wants to take out him again and kill and, him finally. And uh, the Drifter, what was his Lucha name? El Bagabondo. El Bagabondo. <laughs> Bring him oh, back. God. It's a much better version of the Drifter. <laughs> All right, so Candice LeRae came out with her new aggressive look and silver hair and new demeanor and attitude. Uh, we had Johnny who was just praising her as her valet talking about how great she is, basically doing the whole Robert Stone thing, but whatever. Uh, but she went against Casey Canazaro, which I'm pretty sure she's still uh, engaged to Ricochet. And, uh, you know, I know there was a part in time where she was thinking about leaving the company if this wasn't her thing. But uh, apparently people like Candice and a lot of her friends within the industry convinced her to give it a second shot, um, which I'm happy because she, she can do some really cool stuff. And they're able to display a great dominant match where Casey, super babyface, able to get away from Candice, but Candice catching up to her and just dominating over her. So, um, yeah, LeRae entered with new theme, new gear, uh, new entrance video, dubbed the Poison Pixie. And um, we had LeRae pinning Canizaro with their new finisher called the Wicked Stepsister. Actually, it was a pretty good move for the win. And uh, put her opponent in the Gargano escape after the match just to uh, add insult to injury. Um, thought it was a good match. I still don't know if I'm buying the whole heel turn. They seem to turn <laughs> people very, very babyface into heels, but sometimes it doesn't work out like Kari Sane, and sometimes it does work out like Io Shirai. So it just depends. Um, but it was a good match. It was a very dominating match, and I'm glad to see Casey uh, sticking around because I think she adds – a very unique element um, with her wrestling. But uh, how did you like this, Chris? 
I so I thought that she was gone. I thought that after that rumble match that she had said that's it, I'm done. So I don't know if had has she had a match since Rumble? No. And like a, I, a year ago? Not even the last Rumble. It had been the Rumble before last, right? Yeah, apparently some of her female friends, uh, including the one she was going against, you know, convinced her to give it a uh, a second go. And uh, a lot of the trainers thought that she has a lot of potential, so I guess she decided to stay. Maybe Ricochet had something to do with that. Since they're yeah, romantically I, I linked. Thought, I thought part of what she was saying was that there was like a nagging injury or something, and that's why she was kind of done. Because she did the the whole CrossFit America was it didn't she do American Ninja Warrior before this? Yep. And yeah, she was so. a gymnast before that. Yeah, so I thought that maybe that was why. I, well, I you know what? Either way, great to see her back. This uh, what was the what was the finisher called? I'm trying to find the name of it. Wicked Stepsister. All right, Wicked Stepsister is a great name for a move, and it sounds like if Bray Wyatt would have went with that gimmick where he was Abigail. Like dressed as Abigail instead of doing Sister Abigail, he could do like the Wicked Stepsister or something. I like it because it's a combination <laughs> of the surfboard stretch, but then you just do a stomp, kind of like you know the curb stomp. It looks it looks nasty. My friend from work uh, just got his kid back into watching wrestling, and they've been. Uh, he was like, "What should we watch?" And I was like, "We'll just watch Wednesday." I was like, "Record Wednesday, just watch both Wednesday shows." And uh, he he sent me a message. Friday, because I guess they caught up because school or whatever with the homeschool. And he's like, "There's no way that that move is legal." <laughs> it's for the it's, wicked uh, stepsister. It's a pretty nasty looking move. He's like, "There's no way, even with rules and wrestling not matter, there's no way that that move is legal." And it made me laugh yeah. really hard. So that's that's my highlight of this match is just my friend being like, "There's no way that move is legal." I like that. I like that. I think that's a great finisher. And I love the actual name for that finisher, too. I think it's pretty dope. I like that. And, you know, they basically had a backstage thing um, later on the show. We can just go over now because it kind of uh, still goes with this. But, you know, Katie was Katie Cardizaro was, you know, getting looked over by a medic. And also I forgot what the, the wrestler's name is. It's right off the top of my – someone I, I keep on saying is going to be a big wrestler. But anyways, um, you know, they went by them and kind of just scoffed at them and, you know, just her and, her and, her and Johnny Gargano are, are in love and they're evil. They're in love and they're evil, Chris. They're in love and they're evil and Damian Priest said his moment arrived. <laughs> That's what I remember from this little segment. Yep, so we had, uh, like you said, man, we had Damian Priest come out, cut a promo about his upcoming match with Keith Lee. I think he's getting more comfortable with his character. Um, I like Damian Priest. Uh, I think that he actually had a great match with uh, Keith Lee at the end of this. It was the two matches going on since I watched them simultaneously. It was very hard to keep up. I had to rewatch both of them afterwards. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's ready for his match. Uh, and then we had... The weirdest fucking segment. Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher entered the <laughs> arena, and Riddle, <laughs> and Riddle surprised Thatcher with a, a game show segment, the newly Bro Ed show, with Byron Saxton as the fucking host. Riddle and Thatcher played games like the Newlywed Game, uh, soundtrack by Can Laughter and Applause. Thatcher didn't really get it. 
uh, at all. Uh, the game was interrupted, although, by uh, Imperium's Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartel. And they beat the shit out of them and posed over Thatcher in the ring with the tag belts after beating them up. So I guess that's going to be our next thing. Uh, I thought this was funny. A lot of it was cringe. Um, how some of the answers, you know, that that Riddle put down was the right answer, but the wrong answer, if you will, from what Timothy said. And I thought Byron Saxton should be a fucking a, a game show host. He looks like he's having the time of his life doing this. But I don't know if Thatcher's working as a replacement for Pete Dunne. And I also found out, which I had no idea, he's not British. Never never knew that. But uh, with his accent, I was like, wait a minute, is he even British? And I looked it up. He's from, like, I think he's from Michigan or some shit. So either way, he's obviously he's known in the U.K., was trained in the U.K., and uh, loves the old-school European style. But um, I don't know if Timothy Thatcher, especially a lot of guys, including Shawn Michaels, sees a lot in him, really needs this at all. I would rather have him just really having awesome technical matches like he was doing an MLW and whooping people's asses. But uh, whatever, you know, I know these guys worked with each other and Evolve. They're good friends. It's just he's coming off awkward where Pete seemed to work, if that makes sense, Chris. I think it's fine because eventually if they just continue the run, Pete Dunn will come back and then you get a Timothy Thatcher-Pete Dunn match. Which would be great. And Matt Riddle will be torn on which bro he loves the most. <laughs> Which will also be fucking great. Uh, there was one part in this, real quick, and then we can move on, where Matt Riddle, he said real, he doesn't remember because he typically wakes and then his wife bakes. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> where it was like so a wake he, he like made a wake and bake joke, but kind of dodged around it for his character. <laughs> It was He's good big. at doing that, man. Especially with like the sexual innuendos, also to Timothy Thatcher. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, we had Adam Cole, same place, revealed very angrily that uh, William Regal set an NXT Championship defense match for him against Velveteen Dream next week. He cut a promo about how he still doesn't think Dream is worthy and that he will beat him, and that is undisputed. Um, well, there's, there's a certain reason why I don't think Velveteen Dream is going to win that, but uh, I could be wrong. But uh, either way, how would you like this promo, and who do you think is going to win next week for the title between Cole and Dream? <laughs> Adam Cole, baby! <laughs> I like the promo. Um, I have to agree with you, unless this thing's already canned and taped, which would be very, uh, very impact of WWE if that's the case. I'm assuming this thing has not already been taped. No, I think they're going live again next week. I think okay. that's the thing. Yeah, so I would assume Adam Cole's going to win just because we don't know. We don't know what is going on with that scenario, and we talked about it, and it said it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to dodge. And, and once again, I think uh, Velveteen Dream could have easily been the future of the company, and I still don't think that's necessarily an impossibility. Um, but you don't want to hit your wagon to something you're unsure of, and that's a very not WWE thing to do to some extent. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think Adam Cole just probably retains. Maybe they set up something cool, though. I mean, you could still set up stuff, you know. It's, uh, 
there's things they can do out of that. Um, I mean, I guess, like, let's just say worst case scenario, right? And Velveteen Dream is not there. Who's Adam Cole's next opponent? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, since we're going to get him, apparently, this also makes me confused with the travel thing, because Finn Balor at least is going to address who attacked him. So maybe he's recording this in Ireland, or maybe he actually still is in the U.S., but if he's in if, that little like cathedral room that like uh, Neville was in like a few months ago, something <laughs> like that. Cut and, his promo all right, his so gear. <laughs> if it's him, if it's him, if it's him over in the UK, uh, cutting a promo, probably claiming that Walter was responsible or that Walter's men or whatever to build that up, you know, great. But he's not going to be on the product now. If he is there, go for him versus Adam Cole. I would. I. I mean, you literally have the two most efficient champions in the fucking history for male champions in NXT. Why not have them in a program together? I don't, I think that's the, that's, that, that's where we thought it was going to go is the NXT versus the, the heavyweight, right? At some yep. point. Uh, I mean, I just always assumed it was going to be Volter. Me too. And I, it's it's so weird what's going on with the UK. I get it. Traveling. I get all that too. I just don't know where people are half the time because, you, you know, you have Walter in the UK and then Imperium are showing up on NXT. So um, I don't think this is ever going to happen. But would you be hyped if they did some kind of crazy double, like, let's say they do the unification of the titles and it ends up being like a six man match? and somehow Tyler Bates wins. Would you be hyped on that? Because I kind of would. I would love Tyler Bates to have a championship. <laughs> Just both titles. Yeah, man, that'd be awesome. Great. All right, so the NXT Women's Championship match. I thought it was a really good match between Charlotte Flair and Mia Yim. Um, these ladies uh, have trained together. Uh, Charlotte says, you know, since Mia was previously as Jade, she's been a wrestler for a little while, she took her under her hand and really tried to help her out while they were training in uh, FCW uh, before coming to NXT. Uh, and then me, I believe, dipped out, came back, and, um, you know, Charlotte picked her as her first opponent before going against Io Shirai, which, like I said to you, Chris, it makes it look like she's a stepping block. And she kind of even just said, I want to have a good match to you because you're a good hand, which is a back slap comment <laughs> within wrestling. Um, but these ladies have put on a good match. I will say, because I've heard people praise the fuck out of this match, I thought Mia Yim was a little bit sloppy at the beginning, but she got her rhythm down. And then both ladies put on a pretty good match. But uh, she went for her her finisher, and Charlotte reversed it, put her in the figure four, and elevated it to the figure eight and had her tap out. Io Shirai confronted uh, Flair after the match. Really looking forward to that match, too. How did you like her match against Mia Yim? I was a little surprised because me and you thought this thing might drag out a little longer with me AM, right? A couple weeks ago, we were talking about this maybe being down the line, and then we got the match this week. Am I crazy on that? No, no. We were talking about this being something that lasts a little while. But, uh, yeah, apparently they decided not to do that. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure that like I didn't miss something. Um, I thought this was a very, very good match. One of the better matches on the show, in my opinion. I thought this was a really good match. I'm not, not going to say it's like the best Charlotte Flair match of all time, but it was like pretty damn good. And also just proved Charlotte's great. And uh, Mia looked good here. I will say, like you said, the beginning, a little bit of maybe you haven't worked together in a while kind of thing. But once they got the groove, I thought this was a really damn good match. And I, I definitely liked the... Um, Mia put her in basically the walls of Jericho, which I think is what do they call it now? The, what did what did fucking he call it? He called it a high angle Boston crab or something, which is just the walls of Jericho. Elevated Boston crab, yep. <laughs> yeah, so where you just stand up into a Boston crab, which is like not as effective as doing a normal Boston crab if you've ever been put in a Boston crab. It sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, I, I like that whole. Uh, I, I loved the end sequence of this match. I thought it was very good. Charlotte Flair, once again, incredible. I think perfect fit for NXT and hopefully she's having a hell of a lot of fun there and, and doing this. And uh, if the idea is to build back up Rhea, which I'm assuming that is the case, having Charlotte Russell on NXT is not the, the worst idea that they could do. No, absolutely not. So we had another uh, apocalyptic uh, vignette uh, played by Karrion Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux. And they said their arrival uh, will be next week. Will we have a confrontation with Tommaso Ciampa? Will we have wh- whatever is going to happen? I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this has been building up really well. I like the whole TikTok thing. I, I think that I like Karrion Cross. I know that a lot of people thought that name was dumb, but the reason why he did that, if you knew anything about Greek mythology, uh, Karrion is the criminal. <laughs> Tell that brings that you new, tell me about that new hercules movie that's coming out day yeah 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 but no seriously so so the grim reaper on the boat that you give that you give your coins to and he takes you to hades um is carrion so they're playing off of that because wwe can't use words like killer i mean even killer carrion cross that's too much uh, whatever i guess then he'd be called kkk that's not something good but yeah no, that forward- would be very bad <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I've been looking forward to these two uh, showing up. I I was very impressed by both of them and impact. And um, yeah, I just think that Killer Cross is is a monster. He's going to be a fun person to really shove into the NXT, you know, with all the great wrestlers they have for a character and, and fuck some shit up. And I'm glad that he's going against Champa at first. I think that will be a good feud. But uh How'd you like this promo? Are you excited about seeing these two show up next week? And do you think that Ciampa is going to retaliate for getting his ass kicked by uh, Killer Cross? I don't think Ciampa is going to retaliate. I feel like Cross is still going to have his number for a while. Isn't that? I mean, I, I'm just assuming this would be a dragged out thing where he's just going to continue to get his number for for a little bit here just because of the character. Um, I I love this. And I just recently watched some, I think it was like 2017, 2018, Killer Cross and TNA because of Pluto TV, as we talked about earlier. Um, actually, versus Brian Cage, who we also talked about earlier. This guy's an absolute monster and uh, is a very unique character. I'm not a huge fan of the Carrion Cross. I like Killer Cross better. I don't understand why you have a big deal with having a guy named Killer when you have a guy named Dexter Loomis on, on your <laughs> roster. But <laughs> and, and in your Hall of Fame, you have Killer Kowalski. But 
Whatever. It's fucking WWE. I thought Stupid. this was really I thought this was really good. Let's just say that. And I like the character of Killer Cross. And I also like the character of Dexter Loomis. I hate the name, but I, I like I like where they're going with these two characters. They just need to be highly separated. And that would be the one thing I would say. I didn't like that they were back to back. Yep. On the I agree. Show. And don't sleep on Scarlett Bardot, because as a wrestler and as a character, she's actually good in both fields. So she's going to be good as a valet, and playing this more dominatrix evil style with her husband, I think it's going to really work out for her. Um, but Killer Cross, man, you, him and Brian Cage, Chris, were my two. Uh, I think they're going to – them and Willie Mack. Willie Mack's another one that I thought could do big you know, at AEW or WWE watching Impact. Yeah, and and I didn't mean to skip over Scarlett Bojero. I think she's phenomenal from the matches that I've seen, and obviously is just a kind of just a such a great counterpiece to that character, right? So they can do whatever they want um, with that character. I think it'll be money. But yes, I I remember us definitely one or two years ago talking about Willie Mack. Brian Cage. We we had a whole thing about impact wrestlers. Maybe you guys go yep. back into the archives and <laughs> that's dude, that's when we were talking about people like Jeff Cobb and Keith Lee, you know, for people to watch within the industry. So specifically you, you were a huge on Keith Lee even before NXT. I remember you're a huge Keith Lee guy. Um, uh, I've I've said it turned before. me on to Keith Lee. So I bask in his glory now because of you. I'm telling you, my, my person this year, to make it big, uh, ex-buddy, well, he's actually good friends with MJF, part of his old faction called Dynasty, but Alexander Hammerstone is someone that's going to be well-known within the next two years. Uh, Jim Cornette, when he was there, said the same thing. He just, he looks like, he looks like a young Hulk Hogan. I mean, I hate to say that and make that comparison. I, I doubt that he'd want that, but he's a great heel, and he's starting to turn into an awesome baby face. So he's from MLW. Check him out. He might see him in the future. Um, I'm going to throw one guy. out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one out there. Wardlow. He's going to be huge. In yeah, game. I think so too, man. Wardlow is going to be fucking big. He already is big, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think he's going to be – I think there's, there, there's a chance he could become baby face because of MJF kind of – you know, doing the not the Vincent thing, but like after a while, he's, like the, acting like he's a fucking slave. Yeah, and just Sean and Diesel. Exactly, exactly. And yep, then you bring in uh, you bring in another guy to be MJF's bodyguard, and you just do that storyline. Everybody will fucking love it because who doesn't like Sid Diesel and HBK? Great. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And uh, like we've been saying, another person I think both of us are looking forward to is Dexter Loomis. Uh, he went against Shane Thorne, Mine's and, and they had. I, I know, I know that you're you're not big on it. I do actually like it, uh, but I mean, it does kind of it comes off cheesy. It really does. It's too on the nose. But well, so Loomis, Damian Priest though, like it, it does yeah. seem very like I created a wrestler in a video game, just to some extent. But what I was noticing, man, you know, I was talking about his eyes and how they don't remind me of, you know, they're not like Pillman's look. They're not like Edge's look. They're not like Cactus Jack, Brody, you know, Brody Lee or or Bruiser Brody. It's actually when I'm watching all the stuff to, to catch up for our conversation about Randy Savage. Randy Savage had that same crazy bluish gray eyes 
that will just look through your fucking soul. And that mixed in with the mannerisms of him being just weird and like holding the guy after he chokes him out afterwards, like certain things. It And I love that we have this serial killer character that has an infatuation with the Undisputed Era and could be the foil that finally takes them down and really fucks with, hey, maybe that's Adam Cole's next person. Maybe they're going to go directly into that. I have no idea, but I really like Dexter Loomis in the ring. He reminds me of Jake and with a lot of extra creepiness um, just added in there. Um, my my roommate came in while doing the laundry in, in my room and was asking me questions about this. And she's obviously like a lot of ladies watched every fucking documentary about serial killers known to man. And she was like, I love that type of concept. And I was like, yeah, he's 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 supposed to be kind of like borderline serial killer that's obsessed with the main bad guy group and is creeping them out. And she thought that was really cool. And then right afterwards, Brody Lee came out and I was like, and he's a cult leader. It's like, see, they can't get creative <laughs> in wrestling. Uh, but yeah, I just I'm a fan, man. Uh, they've done a good job presenting him so far. How'd you like this? I think they've done a great job presenting him. I just don't like the name. I think the character itself is great. I thought the match was really good. They're doing a good job of putting the character over itself. I just I just don't like the name. I'll get over the name eventually, but until then, I'm just going to say I don't like the name. And uh, did you watch Aquarius? The, no. The, okay, with um, Fox Boulder. What the hell is his name? David Duchovny. So I'm convinced. I want you to watch one episode of this with Charles Manson in it that he is just doing Bray Wyatt's gimmick for Charles Manson's voice. Because Charlie Manson sure. doesn't sound anything like Bray Wyatt, but this guy totally sounds like Bray Wyatt. So it, all the listeners out there, pull up that Aquarius with David Duchovny <laughs> for the for the Bray Wyatt shout out. And check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely do that. I like finding out layers of stuff that probably inspired, you know, said person. Um, it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy to me because there's a lot of Charl- Charlie Manson, but it definitely comes off more like he sounds like Bray Wyatt. And when you hear it, you're never going to be able to unhear it to the point where my wife stopped watching the show because I started talking about the Fireflies. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. So we have the interim NXT Cruiserweight title uh, tournament match, second one. And uh, it was Tony Nese, Drake Maverick. Tony Nese talking a lot of shit to Drake. Them emphasizing even more about him being let go from the company and this being, quote-unquote, his last big thing really makes me think, because this wasn't a work, a lot of people got let go. That's not bullshit. But Drake's speech, that rumor that inspired Triple H, and that he's he's basically fighting for Drake to be furloughed as opposed to completely let go uh, much like Gerald Briscoe and 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 um and uh the the referee I can't remember his name Mike Kyoto who they plan on trying to get back once they have everything up and running again I think possibly Hunter um, maybe Jeremy Borash one of the people that you know is is in his ear once thinks that Drake could be a viable asset on NXT and I loved his comeback his comeback was great I was cheering for him and he got aggressive he got pissed off. And he started fucking up Tony Nese, and he he beat him. And now Tony, after being a past NXT champion, he's, you know, 0-2. He's got two losses now, and Drake Maverick has one win. 
So uh, I like this. I don't expect Drake to win this. I don't know where he's going to be with the company. I just hope they're not exploiting his 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 downfall as a way to hype up a story, and they're still going to fucking fire him at the end of this. That would be disgusting to me. And we said that last week. Yeah. Do you think they're going to reshoot it because he had he said he had three matches left, and those were already basically recorded and in the can when he did that video. So do you think they're just going to change it? Because otherwise, know, that means he's going to lose next week and be out of the tournament. It's probably going to happen. So, if they did change their mind on Drake Maverick and they were like, oh man, people really like this guy. It's like, yeah, no she's Rockstar Spud, dumbasses. You could have done a lot more besides make him piss himself with AOP or whatever the fuck that was. Um, <laughs> I, wish, I wish NXT had him from the beginning. You know, and they didn't just put him on 205 Live as a commissioner. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be WWE. I'm not trying to be too negative because, like, it, he did piss himself in the ring, man. That's like a yeah. hard to come back from thing. Um, but like, he also got pinned by King Maxwell, so there's that. But that's more. <laughs> that's just more a different life. <laughs> Kind of thing. It's like alternate didn't. It's like that DC alternate uh, alternate universe. That's like <laughs> when you get pinned by King Maxwell. It's just alternate universe. You don't count that <laughs> the normal. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like Drake Maverick winning here. I think me and you both are on the same page. We're like, please don't fuck this guy. Like, and definitely don't utilize the fact that this guy got legitimately fired to make your matches slightly more over. Especially because he said he had three matches left, so next week would be his last match, and they'll probably do some kind of sad send-off video like he died or something. Like, just, just uh, what I would do is you got something to build off of. Apparently, Triple H likes the guy. It doesn't fucking matter because he's on NXT anyways. I don't know. Get rid of Bo Dallas, who hasn't been used in years, which nothing against Bo Dallas, but keep this guy, build a storyline out of this, Make even make it into like he wins this tournament and he has to fight like every day for his job like Ric Flair did or something. There, there's so much you could do with this and uh, it just sucks that he's put in this situation. And I think Drake Maverick, aka Rockstar Spud, is a phenomenal wrestler. Has done a lot for his size and has wrestled kind of like everyone everywhere that you could think of. And uh, really full for him. Sucks. Me too. Me too. I completely agree. All right, so announced for next week, kind of already said it, Flair versus or Charlotte Flair versus Io Shirai, Johnny Gargano versus Dominic Dajakovic, and for the NXT Championship, Adam Cole against Velveteen Dream. Good matches for next week. Um, looking forward to all three of them, especially a championship match. What do you think? I think Charlotte Flair is going to win. That's going to be one hell of a match. And I think that's going to build to whatever they do down the line, which might be some kind of step match with Mia or something. I feel like there's got to be a way to get the title off Charlotte without Charlotte taking a loss. If that makes sense. Three-way match. Yeah. Like a three-way or four-way match. Cause I feel like they're still trying to protect Charlotte because they don't know what they're doing with the female roster on the main roster right now. Outside of like maybe Shayna, Shayna and Becky, 
if that makes sense. So I, I feel like uh, maybe that leads to a three-way match with, uh, and Mia Yim will definitely be back involved at some point. But uh, that that should be one hell of a match with Io and uh, Charlotte. Should be fucking phenomenal because Io is like one of, well, she's like one of the only female wrestlers besides Kerry Zane to have a five-star Meltzer match. So yep. maybe they'll turn the fuck up. <laughs> With her and Charlotte. That should be pretty good. Who is the queen of the moon salt? I mean, I don't know. Who's the queen of the elbow drop? It's the best. Carrie Zane. (laughs) Carrie Hojo. That's that's true. (laughs) All right. So our last match was the NXT North American Championship match. Keith Lee won against Damian Priest. Um, Good match by both guys. I keep on saying this, though. Keith Lee needs to go on to someone else. I don't want to be Killian Dane, Dominic Djokovic, or fucking, uh, or uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Damian Priest after this. We can get a guy that's smaller. He actually works really well with them. Um, but I like Damian Priest in this. That that move he does, Chris, where he runs and uh, puts his uh, right foot on the top rope and then does a backflip to the outside, pretty impressive. These guys should not be able to do half the shit they do. Uh, it's kind of like what we're going to talk about. Or Well, no, we actually didn't mention it. Now I, I can mention it. When Murderhawk did the uh, old school, and I've seen him do this live, it's fucking awesome, all the way to the other side into a moonsault and completely obliterating the person. How the fuck do any of these guys do it? Uh, Keith Lee would win with two spirit bombs. I thought was pretty badass back-to-back. And, uh, yeah. Uh, he is still the NXT North American champion. This was another Keith Lee Dijakovic match, and it was pretty fun. <laughs> That's all you can really say. I mean, like it, we, what? This is like the sixth time we've seen this match. Yep. So I mean, like the guys are working their ass off. They're having great fucking matches, but there's only so much you can do six times in a row. Yep, it's like they put in like every. It's okay. This big guy shuffled out. Why don't we put in this guy? Eh, right. I mean, they're both working their asses off. Like they're doing crazy shit that like the the size of these people should not be able to do, and it's it's incredible. Even Kevin Owens is somewhere like, how the fuck did he just do that? <laughs> yeah, that's good. But it's uh, yeah, they're fucking incredible, great athletes. I thought this is a really fun match to watch. The problem is that it's it's that wear and tear. The same thing with uh, to me with Gargano and Ciampa to some extent, and some of the other matches in WWE right now. I'm just tired of it. Yep, I agree. Speaking about tired of, <laughs> just kidding. Let's go over WWE Friday Night SmackDown. Uh, the results real quickly. To get to our last main topic. Um, actually, it started off, I'll say as Daniel Bryan and uh, King Corbin uh, started off with a match. Uh, before the match, Bryan cut a passionate promo about being hungry and wanting to win money in the bank. Um, and Corbin came out being a dickbag. This was actually a pretty damn good match. Uh, both guys were on their shit. Corbin was pretty pretty quick. Uh, I liked all the comeback moves that they, they pulled. I especially liked it when... What was it? Uh, Daniel Bryan was doing his normal thing where he ran into the turnbuckle and uh, did did the uh, the dropkick backflip and then went to do it again and then got the uh, not the end of days but his other move uh, from Corbin. Thought it was really sequenced well. So I was you know I, I usually talk a lot of shit about Corbin, but I thought he did pretty good in this match. 
Uh, Corbin, then uh, Brian was def- or what you call it? He was beating the crap out of Corbin, and Corbin uh, got a DQ uh, because he hit him with a ladder, and then was confused with the ref of why he got eliminated, even though he blatantly did it in front of him. And Brian briefly got the yes lock on Corbin, but Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro attacked and tossed Brian into a pile of ladders. Um, how'd you like this opening match, Chris? Sorry, I couldn't find my mouse cursor. It was terrible. Uh, <laughs> I actually like this match a lot, and it's just one of those weird Daniel Bryan things where I like the match better than I thought I was <laughs> going to turn out. Um, as far as there, that that spot where he goes to do that was it the rocket kick in the corner and got caught into was it deep six? I think that's what Corbin calls it. That yep. spinning sidewalk, it's basically a spinning sidewalk slam. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, Corbin is really good at wrestling <laughs> when you give him the right opponent and don't have him do rest holds. Because if you go back to the NXT shit, he's still really good. And me and you put him over for like both of his signature moves. I, I still think those are like like the deep six and... Uh, what, the, what was the other one you, you called out? His actual finisher. I can't think of the fucking name of it now. I, I like I remember um, one and you remembered the other one. <laughs> and now I end, forgot it. Um, end of days. End of days. Yeah, both of those are fucking. I also so I love the, uh, the wraparound that he jumps outside, wraps around the post, uses the momentum to come and, you know, slide in the ring and then give him the uh, the uh, whatchamacallit clothesline. And the first time he nailed it and the second time. Daniel Bryan used it to put him in the yes lock, and I thought that was a great use of it. Like, they, they had good chemistry for this match. Yeah, and I think that's part of it is, like, what do you – it at some point, it's kind of what you want Corbin to do in the ring and also how fucking good Daniel Bryan is to probably put most of that match on. Um, but, yeah, Baron Corbin, we've talked about him on the podcast in, in negative light and positive light because I feel like we – both put him over and buried him <laughs> to some extent in the past, mostly just because I think the booking is bad a lot with him. Um, yeah, I thought this match was fucking actually great. Like I, I liked it as far as like a fucking TV match. It was spot on. And then uh, the aftermath of poor Daniel Bryan getting thrown into ladders and shit. Um, yeah, that was the thing that happened. Like I don't, I still don't, I still don't get like, is it a, is, it's going to be a tag match with ladders? What, what is going on? What is the build? I guess they're hyping up the TLC match because both guys are involved in it. I mean, I get that, but isn't Daniel Bryan in a tag team and these guys are also in a tag team? So wouldn't it just know. be a fucking tag match? Like, why would you not just do a tag match for the titles? Oh wait, they don't have the fucking titles. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's one of those things. And also, hey. why do you, why do you, why do people want Daniel Bryan to fall off heavy shit all the time? I don't. Like, I mean, like, look, Daniel, we believe in you. Went to the hyperbolic time chamber. You became Goku. You came out Super Saiyan two <laughs> or whatever. But like, bro, I don't need you falling off high shit anymore. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do flying headbutts. Like, look, 
couple yes kicks, LaBelle lock. I'm I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm just the same way as I'm good as like, all right, Undertaker did his five things, and that's awesome. It's <laughs> just do do like your ten things, dude. <laughs> yep, I agree. All right, so we had a segment where Braun Strowman came out, get these hands, all that stuff. Uh, Bray Wyatt interrupted him with another Firefly Funhouse and talking about the black sheep of the family and how he betrayed him. And, uh, yeah, that kind of sets up stuff for for their match. Uh, after that, Sheamus defeated Leon Ruff um, and just got his ass completely destroyed. With a bro kick, Sheamus uh, wasn't impressed uh, from Michael Cole presenting the new Jeff Hardy video and said that he'll be here when Hardy returns to SmackDown next week. So it's going to set up that. I hope they didn't just put that match together to force it on the the uh, the what the hell ever pay-per-view, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Stretch that out to me. I, th- I think you can do something with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. But uh, how do you like Braun Strowman uh, being the black sheep? And not I don't I'm not talking about Chris Farley uh, with Bray Wyatt and then Sheamus and uh, him saying that he's going to basically step up to Jeff Hardy next week. Do you think they're going to release Jeff Hardy as soon as the Sheamus match is done? Because awesome. he probably only has one month left of his contract, and they're not throwing him in money in the bank, so he's not going to be jumping off of anything. Could be. Which, I mean, five, even five after Five second you, bro kick, bro. <laughs> five. Gee, fuck. Whatever. It got Daniel Bryan over there. Hot to resign Jeff Hardy if he gets five second bro kicked. <laughs> Where's so AJ Lee? Where's AJ Lee at when you need her? She's hiding underneath <laughs> the ring. AJ Lee. She's under the ring. Punk's like, where's my wife? What does he call her ape? He calls her ape or something? Like, that's his nickname for her? I was like, what's that? That's a, that's your, a your, weird... your CM Punk a second ago sounded like uh, Laurenitis. Oh, I don't really know. Where's my wife? <laughs> where's my wife? God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm the raw anonymous GM. <laughs> hey, kid. Let me just tell you about something. Um, Have you yeah. ever skateboarded down to the ring in Japan? Oh. <laughs> My tag team partner was Shane Douglas. <laughs> I, Shane I don't Douglas. know. That's all, the, that's all I know about John Laurinaitis other than he was a Vince guy for a while. Um, now I'm fucking just baffled because we have John Laurinaitis. No, I, I was... Uh, um, hmm. I really am lost now. <laughs> Fucking. So, I was talking. Oh, you talked about the Seamus bro kick. Uh, I just assume Seamus has got to beat Jeff Hardy just because Jeff Hardy's on his way out, right? He's got like a month, two months. And They're they hyping all- him up a lot, though. That's the only thing. That's a yeah. lot of video package to put money into. I mean, I guess, but Jeff's always going to go with his brother. Yeah. Well, um, let's go to the uh, Money in the Bank qualifying match. Carmella going against Mandy Rose. Just kind of set up in the back beforehand with uh, Mandy Rose um, and Otis both having respected matches and how, you know, Mandy gives him the kiss on the cheek like Prince or uh, Elizabeth style. And he says, oh, yeah. So I've come to the conclusion, Chris, that Otis is just stealing Macho Man and Dusty Rhodes like mannerisms uh, and, and combining them. And that's that's what he's doing. I could definitely see that. <laughs> Let me see what you're saying there. Mm. Just wondering. But anyways, Carmella uh, defeated Mandy Rose because of a distraction from just uh, Sonya Deville and a super kick after the match. Sonya attacked, 
and screamed at Mandy. And uh, in the back, when she was getting taken care of, uh, Dolph Ziggler asked Otis if she was all right. So, yeah, that, that was interesting. He had a match against Otis at the end of the night. Uh, um, how did you like this uh, women's uh, qualifying match for the Money in the Bank? Glad to see Carmella get a win, honestly. And I, now it makes me think that they're going to do Mandy Rose and Sonya at Money in the Bank. Yeah, that's the that's the thing is where do you actually go from it? But you kind of get – I you know what? I like seeing Carmella get a win, but I also just miss her with R-Truth. Me too. I'm not going to hey, lie. Hey, do you think that R-Truth is going to be somehow involved in this fucking – Money in the Bank thing, maybe like coming out of Vince McMahon's office, thinking that he's a part of the match, and also trying to infiltrate it. Because if they do that, I'll laugh my fucking ass off. I will. I I hope he does the opposite of what he did for the Rumble, and he comes down and just tosses everyone over the ropes and celebrates like he won. <laughs> That's so awesome. Do, do you remember his Rumble thing ladder? Where he just showed ladder. up with a fucking ladder. <laughs> oh, I love our truth. Dude, Ron uh, Killings is the best. Even going back to that three live crew stuff in TNA and uh, what the first African American NWA heavyweight champion put some respect on our true's name. He's the best. Ron Killings is a hell of a fucking wrestler. Uh, as many Fernandez once told me, if you want to got a shoot on you, our truth could shove your arm up your ass. <laughs> wow. That's so. <laughs> for whatever hey, you want to hear something something in history nothing taken back from uh our troop becoming the first nwa champion back in the day bobo brazil beat buddy buddy rogers in a match and rogers claimed basically bullshit and uh it was never count as an actual victory within the the lineage of the nwa title yeah that's yes that is a good thing to point out that is garbage I mean, it. They, te- I guess you could technically count. Um, what's Farouk's legit name? Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons. WCW winning WCW, but that's not really the NWA title. It gets really weird when you lineage, but yep. it was a, it was a huge deal when Ron Killings won it, and that character yep. during that time period, TNA Wild Style or NWA Wild Style slash TNA at that time period, it was a huge fucking deal, and uh, yeah. He's phenomenal. I can't believe the WWE amazing. ever let him go. I mean, he was teaming with Road Dog already, and then they just let both of them go, and then they just teamed to TNA for a while, which is fucking weird, because he was K-Quick originally in WWE. Um, he's an amazing wrestler, and uh, as he's proven, you give me something, I'll get it over. Oh, I got to talk to an invisible person that's a John Cena fan, Lil Jimmy? All right, I'll get it over. <laughs> like, I'll do it. I will do it. All right, so the Forgotten Sons uh, went against the New Day, and they actually defeated them, thanks to Jackson Ryder, or Riker, I should say. Uh, Miz and Morrison were on commentary, and the Forgotten Sons have pinned now the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Um, Lucha House Party beat Miz and Morrison. I don't even know why they're involved right now in this situation at all and where they were, but either way, uh, this situation, I'm rooting for the Forgotten Sons because of Jackson Riker. Um Probably not the best reason since he's not going to win the fucking belts. But this <laughs> might be a scenario where I think these guys might do better on the main roster than they did in NXT. Uh, still weird having them in the mix. But I did like how they called out the Miz for, you know, not being an actual fucking Marine like them. That was kind of funny uh, last week. So what do you think about them beating the New Day? 
I just I just like that uh, this this show has become very TNA positive. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we hope Jackson Ryder, Riker kicks the shit out of him, Gunner, <laughs> basically. Um, man, it's really weird without them switching up the tag teams. Uh, I mean, with Austin still hurt, right, Xavier? Yep. So it, it's the weird. Zegos hurt too. Uh, from what Chris Jericho did, <laughs> pointed pointed out that uh, uh, whatever Austin's full name is, lost uh, <laughs> Austin Creed uh, against Creed, lethal consequences against, against fucking Cody Rhodes uh, in collegiate wrestling in Georgia. That was also uh, also once again just TNA lethal consequences Austin Creed. Spice will go the full round. Oh lord, <laughs> but uh. I, I thought that was very weird that they won. I mean, maybe these guys. I just I don't get it. They tried to book them in book them in NXT, and outside of like Gunner, like they're not very good. I just want I just want him by himself with his own gimmick, you know, doing some fucking cool shit. I'd like I mean, to see if him Alex Black a- in a feud, you know, uh, whatever. Hey. If he's already doing the biker gimmick, which is kind of what their thing is, like kind of uh, Aces of Eight, Sons of Anarchy type deal, <gasps> wouldn't it be a whole lot cooler if it was just him by himself, American Badass style, Undertaker style? Yeah, yeah dude, that would be fucking awesome. Fucking do that. Yep. People All love right, Taker so- when he shows up listing a Metallica on a motorcycle. <laughs> they do, they do. <laughs> um, so Lacey Evans um, and uh, saved Tamina from a uh, attack from Bailey and Banks, and we're gonna have Tamina and Evans against Banks and Bailey next week. I don't care. All right, last match, Money in the Bank qualifying match, Otis and Dolph Ziggler. This is actually a pretty damn good match. Both guys are entertaining, and I like how they started off. Both of them are collegiate wrestlers, so it was a lot of grappling at first, and then it spilled out everywhere. Dolph doing things to keep himself afloat, heelish. And Otis finally using his power to take down Dolph and do his. I'm sorry, but I the, one of the only things I don't like that Otis does, and that's the caterpillar, on Ziggler to win the match and qualify himself for that. We also found out, Chris, and I don't know how they're going to do this. Uh, the women's, um, what you call it, TLC or the women's Money in the Bank match and the men's Money in the Bank match will be filmed simultaneously. At the exact same time. Wait, what? I missed this part. So they're going to do both matches at the same time on top of the towers and then someone's going to die? Yeah. Okay. Is Jeff Hardy involved? (laughs) No. He's not. Okay. So I'm going to split screen watch a pay-per-view on the wwe network at the same time to see who's gonna win the money in the bank yeah pretty much that seems like a very terrible idea (laughs) yep so the two money in the bank ladder matches take place at wwe headquarters in stanford but both matches will be taking place at the exact same time which considering what this is supposed to be all about actually makes a lot of sense uh, from what this article is saying, because the fact that there, it's going to be a little bunch of stupid segments. So I'm assuming it's going to break out into teams, them all trying to get to the top, and then you'll have two ladders set up to get to the the main thing. So but it's, it's going to be a lot. 
It's supposed to be live at the exact same time. Yeah, they're going to release them at the bottom at the exact same time to get to the top. And, you know, that, that like I said, I'm assuming people are going to work together and whatnot, and there's going to be elevator fights and all this ridiculousness. And then at the top, there'll be two sets of ladders getting to the male and the female, respected uh, money in the bank, and, you know, whoever so, gets there first is going to win. I mean, is there going to be two different pay-per-views? Nope, this is all one pay-per-view. This is this is the main event. They have apparently they're they're doing they're doing a couple matches. One of them being Braun versus Bray, and those will be the matches leading up to it. And then those giant yeah, I get that. Set. I'm talking about this crazy ass, but I didn't realize they were both at the same time. I thought they were going to be two separate things. No, and that's the thing is like it. That means that from what all of us think, this is going to be probably recorded very similar to AJ Styles and The Undertaker. Like very much, you know, segmented like a motherfucker until they get to the main ladder spots. I would assume um, on the top, and then they'll probably have a more wrestling oriented. But this is going to be pre-recorded, heavily edited, and just a bunch of mayhem. Um, yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking you fucking baffled me by them being at the same time. I just thought they were going to just do money in the bank matches like normal. I guess I missed the part where they're, I mean, I, I remember the part where we were talking about me throwing, con, or I was like, they're going to throw the construction workers off the top of the building. Like that WWE <laughs> video game. I definitely remember talking about that, but I don't remember them being at the same time. Construction was, uh, workers are going to be flying. <laughs> People better not be below. I think this is, this was announced last night, I believe. Right after okay. the following show. Yeah, I must have, um, I must have, I must have missed that. At the same time, and that, the reason I asked um, if it was going to be two separate things, where you could click which one you wanted to watch, because I kind of wonder if that's a good test of like what people are really into. Because Becky was one of their most overall like top superstars so do you want to see like which match people are more into the female wrestler or the, the male wrestling kind of thing um, but if they're just doing them at the same time then everyone's going to miss everything and then afterwards everybody's going to be like what the fuck was that more than likely real quick I'm going to bring up the male and female <sighs> money in the bank Titan, the Titan Tower. Well, I, I just want to find out exactly who's going to be in the match, like so far, uh, for, for men and women. Um, no, that's not it. Okay, so we have for the matches for the women: Oscar, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, Nana Brooke, Lacey Evans, Carmella, and then Daniel Bryan, Rey Mysterio, Aleister Black, and Otis, and then whoever wins the Scotland match on Monday. Whether it be Apollo Crews defying the odds or AJ Styles stepping in, some shit like that's going to happen. Um, or maybe it'll be Buddy Murphy. Maybe it'll be all the people that lost previously. I have no idea. But um, out of the women's, Oscar, Shayna, Nia, Dana, Lacey Evans, Carmella, who do you think's going to win? I wish it would be Oscar, but I feel like it's going to be either Lacey Evans or Nia Jax. I'm going to push towards Lacey Evans because I like her more. Obviously, I'm going to go with my Kofi Kingston pick of this match and go Dana Brooks. 
That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that, man. Because you know I always pick the person that's not going to win, but it's going to be somewhat fun in the match, just like Kofi for forever until he actually did win. I just kept picking Kofi for Rumble, Money in the Bank. Dana Brooke is my new. She's going to be tossed in these. I'm picking Dana Brooke. Uh, but, like, actual probably going to win Shayna Baszler. And then hopefully oh, yeah. they'll, they'll do the right thing where she just straight challenges Becky. She's like, you didn't actually beat me. And then puts, like, a stip on the match or something. Like, a, yeah, like a submission match or something. That would be kind of cool, right? Absolutely. Um, and then we have Daniel Bryan, Ray, Aleister Black, King Corbin, Otis, and to be announced. So with not knowing that last person... If I'm just going based on this, I uh, don't see Ray or Daniel uh, because they're the vets and they don't really need it. Daniel Bryan's already, you know, had – he's already won a fucking um, Money in the Bank. But um, I would love – as long as it's not fucking Baron Corbin, I would love either Aleister Black or Otis to somehow get this fucking thing. Um, Aleister Black over Otis, but still if Otis won, I'd smile at the end of it as well. Who do you think is going to win the men's? Or maybe you can throw in, you think AJ Styles is going to win because he's going to be the last person winning that call. I, I think it's going to be AJ or Kevin Owens. It just depends on who they sub in there. I still think it's too early to bring back AJ after this, but if they bring it back with a cool gimmick and he's like, they don't, you don't really know who AJ is and he wins, you can play both sides of the field. I feel like the money in the bank for the, or at least for the male roster, is is better suited to a heel. It's a very heel move to cash that shit in on somebody, right? Yeah. Um, and with at least with the women's, uh, with the with the with with Shayna being there, you can at least go, well, Shayna is a shoot badass, so she would just shoot badass challenge somebody, but you don't really have that to me in the in in the men's money in the bank. Right versus Drew McIntyre, who just kicked fucking Lesnar's head off or whatever. What I don't want to see out of all this is Lesnar show up on Monday and then win Money in the Bank and then challenge McIntyre. <laughs> uh, yeah, me which, neither. Which is a which is a fucking possibility. All right, so let's go down the rest of this card just real quick, and we'll go into it because we'll probably have some more matches next week. But we got Braun Strowman against Bray Wyatt for the Universal Championship. Bray's getting that back, isn't he? What do you think? I don't think so. You think Braun's gonna win? I feel like he has to. I feel like you got you need more mind games. You gotta draw this out. You you fucking made your bed. You gotta lie in it. You can't just have Brady just straight win it back right off the bat. I mean, unless there's time travel and alternate realities involved in which Brady takes a loss that doesn't actually exist in wrestling. I guess then he could technically lose the title. Like John Cena technically lost that match. I don't know. I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Bailey. Bailey going against Tamina for the women's uh, championship match. Uh, Bailey's gonna retain that, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. No, Bailey's just gonna. Yes, Bailey is gonna win, but maybe her and Sasha have a miscommunication, and she somehow wins. Still. Even after the miscommunication. But if you um, wanted to do something really cool, and it would be a good look for Tamina, because, like, say what you will about Tamina. I think she's, like, pretty decent in the ring or whatever. She's been there a long time, and obviously, 
if she if there was a miscommunication and Tamina won the title, that would be a huge surprise, right? Yeah, it's a good it way was. To, a good way to spark your feud and maybe do something different with your title. I don't think that's going to happen. I think like miscommunication. Somehow Bailey still gets a win, probably cheating, like a like a you know trunks or legs on the rope or whatever kind of thing. All right, and then we have uh, Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins. I'm going to Drew McIntyre, but I hope this is actually one of the better matches, wrestling matches, for the WWE Championship. Do you got Drew retaining? I have Drew retaining, and I, this should be the match of the night. There's Seth has no excuse on this one. He can definitely work with Drew. They work very similar paced matches. It's very much a Triple H versus Drew Mac or Triple H versus Seth Rollins, which was a pretty good match. But Drew McIntyre is like 15 years younger than Triple H, so this this match should be really fucking good. And uh, do you think, uh, do you think if it's not cycle? good, and Seth think- Rollins comes out and blames the fans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you it's think the Disciple him. will uh, try to get involved, uh, Buddy Murphy? Oh, I thought you meant the Disciple from WCW. I was like, I hope not. Like, and Bruce Leslie? Barber Beefcake is going to show up. Uh, I mean, maybe. But I, you, can't take the, you can't take the belt off Drew McIntyre. So he's just going to – I mean, it doesn't matter who gets involved. He's just going to be like fucking – What? Don't yeah, he's just going to be Claymore kicking the fuck out of people until, like, Brock shows back up, basically. Or you have someone win money in the bank. All right, the last match for the SmackDown uh, Tag Team Championships. Uh, the New Day, the champs, Biggie and Kofi, against Miz and Morrison, the Forgotten Sons, and the Lucha House Party. Who do you think is going to win this? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. Two day retains unless they put it on the uh, Forgotten Sons for some reason. I'm just gonna say Forgotten Sons because obviously they're gonna push for no reason out of nowhere. So. <laughs> also, they well. just love. Like I just don't get it, but you know what? They might as well get it. I mean, the Viking Raiders have been tag champions, like Forgotten Sons. <laughs> Why not? I forgot about the Viking Raiders. All right, let's go on to our main topic today, Chris. Uh, <laughs> the little amount of time that we have. I wanted to you, do a nice – what were you going to say? I said, what little amount? We have all the time you want, buddy. Well, yeah, we're, not, we're not on a uh, we're not on a, a, a timer anymore. That's for damn sure. But I definitely – I definitely think there's a lot of similarities that can be said about both Macho Man Randy Savage and what he did for wrestling in his career to Eddie Guerrero and what he did for wrestling throughout his career. Um, Just my opening statement, I mean, you have two men that exuded passion, uh, were perfectionists. Both of them uh, could be a little bit uh, intense as an individual outside of wrestling, because they took wrestling extremely seriously. Both of them had no problem doing the J-O-B or whatever was supposed to progress the wrestling itself. They Neither neither of them thought they'd ever be a world heavyweight champion due to their size. Uh, both of them innovated so many people uh, within the wrestling industry and were just beloved by wrestlers and two pillars of their era. Randy Savage obviously being the, whether you call it the golden age, 
the rock and wrestling, the Hulkamania era, you know, the, the beginning of WWF when it first started. Macho, I would say, is up there with Piper, obviously Hogan, um, as pillars of that, that time period, the, the necessary people that made wrestling big. I, I would say Macho Man's on there. I'll be nice and throw a warrior in there because I would be lying if he was if I were to say he wasn't popular and a part of that as well. And then Eddie during the Ruthless Aggression era, along with people like Kurt Angle and up and comers like Randy Orton and Batista and John Cena, you know, and working with JBL and a lot of the other great wrestlers. Uh, they both have matches that people study still to this day. They both were great as baby faces, uh, great as heels. Both had were known for having female valets that were very famous within it. So I guess I'll let you start, Chris. You can kind of just go into the direction of comparing the two, and then we'll kind of go into subcategories. Them, them when they first started getting into the industry, uh, and, and then going from there, basically, going over promos, going over different aspects uh, in-ring wrestling style. Uh, I know that two of these are your favorite. Uh, both of them would definitely be in my top 10, um, as far as wrestlers, they're probably the two most, two of the most beloved wrestlers within wrestling. And I think that Eddie could have been as big as in, in, in the world of wrestling as Macho Man Randy Savage, if he didn't inevitably, unfortunately pass away. Um, also both of them had tragic endings, but, uh, we'll get into that. What do you want to say, or what do you have to say about Macho Man Randy Savage comparing to Eddie Guerrero? So I'll start it out by both saying uh, one thing that should be noted is there's both a family lineage there. You have the Guerreros and you have the Pothos, right? Which is interesting in itself. Like this is, uh, I mean, not to the same extent of, as like the Rocks family or <laughs> The, the Samoan li- lineage of wrestling, but I, I'm just pointing out that there's uh, there's definitely some uh, comparisons there. I will say Macho Man kind of was a top guy as soon as he came to WWF, um, whereas Eddie Guerrero was a top guy in the Cruiserweight division in WCW, just kind of pinned guys there for a long period of time. You could go out and have the best match of the entire night, but you were still stuck right there on the middle of the card. And it wasn't until, like... And and, and I'm not saying anything negative about Eddie, because I fucking love Eddie Guerrero. As everyone who's listened to the show knows, I love Eddie Guerrero. But I think the relationship that he had with China. Um, and that feud that he had with China, and they turned heel, and they turned like I lie, cheat, still Eddie Guerrero made that character, and then he somehow turned it babyface because everyone just wanted to see Eddie win. Um, whereas Macho Man was kind of the opposite of being like this ultra manly man who may beat his wife, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> but you're not quite sure and is it his girlfriend or is it his manager and he's always over the top all of the time um there's so many similarities to their characters in in a lot of different ways and if we start going into just like breaking down their in-ring work it's it's going to be very hard to do because they're they're different but there's still a lot of similarities uh <laughs> 
Macho Man, I think, is probably one of the best. I think DDP's even said this. Macho Man will either he could either sit down and lay out an entire match for you spot to spot, like he did with the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat or WrestleMania three, or he could just call it in the ring. And Eddie Guerrero, I'm pretty sure, just called everything in the ring. Um, from ever like all the accounts I've heard of, at least with Eddie Guerrero, is kind of just a old school call it in the ring. This is the thing. Um, Eddie Guerrero, to me, is an innovator. He was a guy that was stuck, like I said, stuck in the cruiserweight division. I mean, like when you look at the uh, the three soup, the snap suplexes, people still do that to this day. The frog splash, which he wasn't the only person doing the frog splash, but I think Eddie's frog splash in WCW was fucking phenomenal. Um, the I think the thing about Eddie that would maybe put him a little bit below Macho Man for me is promos. And I thought Eddie was a good promo, but Macho Man, once again, probably one of the best promos of all time. And then he also had one of the greatest matches of all time. (laughs) That, I mean, the other thing is like, um, I mean, there's really great match. Eddie Guerrero had a ton of great matches and maybe if you put them side by side and was like, who had, more better matches i'd probably be like eddie guerrero had more better matches but macho man had one of the best matches of all time (laughs) yep and we'll get to a match i think is not as comparable but you can say influential people taking from a match eddie had one as well uh, just, I think Randy and Ricky are pretty much one of the biggest matches of all time. But let's go over the beginning for both guys. Randy Savage, Randy Poffo, he was actually supposed to become a baseball player. Uh, he, you know, he lived in Cincinnati, or he lived in Columbus, Ohio, I should say. He was trying to play for Cincinnati. Uh, nagging injuries kind of kept him out from going to the major leagues. But people said that he was a phenom, you know, uh, uh baseball players of that time period that that worked with him either in college or high school or the minor leagues just said that he was incredible so he decided that he would go to his first club and try to put on some muscle um and become a professional wrestler like his father angelo Poffo, uh with his brother also being a part of the same um, wrestling organization that their dad had international championship wrestling with on which was on cable for a lot of different places and competed mainly with Jerry Lawler and, uh, and uh, Jarrett's uh, Memphis wrestling, which would end up having the two of them have their two champions, Savage and Lawler fight for it. Um, and when you go to Eddie, Eddie was obviously part of the uh, Guerrero family. His father, another second generation, Gory Guerrero, innovative as hell. Um, you know, he had a brother much older than him, actually, with Chavo Guerrero Sr., and he was actually born around the same time, a little bit uh, older than his nephew, Chavo Jr., uh, and then his brother being Hector Guerrero. So he was part of a huge family from El Paso, Texas, that travel, traveled, you know, throughout the various territories in Texas. Um, uh, and sorry, but I can hear a lot of typing, just uh, just FYI. Um just, uh, you know, through Texas and then obviously AAA and CML, CMLL. 
and became kind of a a pillar for for that and up and comer. And this is before either of them became major or big, you know, deciding to have feuds. You would have Eddie travel to Japan after that, become the the uh, what you call it, the Black Tiger, and have some amazing matches with Chris Benoit, some amazing matches with Dean Malenko, which would travel from ECW to WCW, while Randy. Uh, had some amazing matches with Adrian Street and Jerry Lawler, and then would finally start cutting himself into the WWE. Um, both of them different different careers. Both of them were second-generation wrestlers. Both of them had intense wrestling matches with with guys that they would become you know friends with uh, with Macho and, and Lawler, and obviously with uh, you know Benoit and Dean Malenko with with Eddie, but they were known for being able to go out there, Chris, and perform. And, you know, Macho didn't really become his character until later on. He was very skinny. He was called the Spider at first, um, which is actually a reference that that's the reason why Sam Raimi made Bonesaw McGraw and had Macho Man play him is because when he first started wrestling, he was a skinnier dude and called himself the Spider. Just a little uh, extra trivia out there for you. And then he put on muscle and tried to – they both had that concept of – and they would get bigger and bigger body-wise throughout their career, but where they thought they were the odd man out because they were the smaller guy. And I, I believe Eddie was 5'9", five, 5'10", five, maybe, five, five, eight, between 5'8 five, and 5'10". And Macho Man was – what shit? I think he was like six foot six one. So they always had that, that issue – being in the land of the giants, but they made do and their personalities made them larger than life. Um, any, any comments about the, uh, the early days of both these guys? So for, for Macho Man, the, the early days of me watching Macho Man outside of the, the little bit of the Poffo Terry territory I watched, which, you know, Lanny and obviously Randy went over quite a bit. Um, is WWF so the early days of Macho Man coming in being the hottest free agent and seeing all of these different and he's booked so perfectly by the way having all of the different like Bobby Heenan like every manager they had and this is kind of a thing that relates back to real sports all of these different managers wanting this top prospect that's the Macho Man Randy Savage right this crazy athlete this freakish athlete that played baseball or whatever they booked that so perfectly um that's probably my earliest memory of macho man as far as like dating back in my mind for for eddie guerrero the first time i really i guess latched on to him would be hog wild maybe 95 or 96 he had a match against rick flair and i had been watching him for a while like a long while. But if you guys ever get a chance, look up Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero 96 or 95 or 96 at Hog. I think it's definitely Hog Wild, but they changed the name at some point. It, it became not Hog Wild because it was at Sturgis. They, they called it something else after the fact. But anyways, you, you'll you be able to find it. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> it's a 20-minute match in the middle of a show that ended up with, like, I think the Giant winning the title against NWO or something no one gave a shit about. But uh, the Ric Flair-Eddie Guerrero match stole the show. And, and from my childhood, that kind of 
lit my eyes up. But uh, I, I just remember as far as like Macho Man early in my childhood and things that I love, just reading that WrestleMania. It wasn't WrestleMania 3 DVD or not DVD, VHS back then over and over and over and my parents are like are you still watching this i'm like yeah well, maybe macho man will win <laughs> this time <laughs> i was a huge macho man mark i had a macho man uh wrestling buddy had an old i also had an ultimate warrior wrestling buddy to be fair but i had both wrestling buddies my two favorites of all time back in that back in that time period up until uh well, there wasn't any WCW wrestling buddies, so it wasn't very fair. But those two were my wrestling buddies until they released the WCW Sting wrestling buddy, and then, you know, game over. <laughs> was the coolest. Yeah, and, um, oh, God, I just, both guys, uh, they exuded professionalism. They, 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 they took the industry very, very seriously. They both wanted to be the best uh, wrestler or at least have – they cared more about, I think, Chris. They loved – you know, them getting their championship matches are great memories. But like I said, Macho Man had a, had a, a saying that Bruce Prichard always says, you win them one, two, three in the wing, you lose them one, two, three. It was more about getting the storyline down and having great matches to him that he was passionate about. And those matches – much like Eddie, you know, Randy would either, like you said, he would either draw everything out until there was 99 lines that he gave to Ricky Steamboat of every fucking detail of the match they were going to have. Or, you know, you would have Eddie who would try to, you know, call it. Or if he expected you to call it, he expected you to be able to call it correctly um, and put on. I think that they were so down on themselves for minor, minor things. Their passion was, you know, both of them, especially for their eras, just second to none. Uh, their match ship uh, qualities, they were both innovators. I mean, Savage, what him and Steamboat did uh, at WrestleMania was so innovative and put on such a an amazing, like, it changed things, man. I mean, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, so many wrestlers watched that and said that is something to emulate. And I think that a lot of wrestling nowadays, especially based more with a lot of um, Mexican or, you know, uh, uh, luchador influence, Halloween Havoc 1997, Rey uh, Rey Mysterio against Eddie Guerrero, that blew a lot of people, you know, away, you know, your, your AJ Styles, your, 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 the, the next generation of wrestlers. So they both had that type of innovation. They both had classic matches. Uh, they both had a very, very emotional moments in wrestling, you know, Macho Man getting his ass kicked, uh, uh, by Sherry after the match of, that he lost against Dusty and then Elizabeth coming through the crowd and them embracing and, you know, Bobby Keenan and, and, and everything that, that, that him and, and, uh, whatchamacallit, um, everything that him and Gorilla Monsoon said about, they love each other. And then before when he proposed to her and she said, oh yeah, like that's a moment that I remember being emotional to wrestling as a kid. And then later as an adult, when Eddie beat Brock Lesnar and then Eddie went on and that moment at WrestleMania after he beat 
Kurt Angle for the, you know, retain the title and Chris beat Triple H and Sean. And they had that moment in the ring. They just knew how to pull on the heartstrings. They were just perfect packages, I think, for their era when it comes to in-ring ability, mic ability, you know, innovation, just so many different things, uh, the passion they exuded. And also, like I said, being intense individuals in real life, like being so hard on themselves that they didn't have a good match or if they if they perceive themselves not to have a good match. Um, I think that they had a lot of that in common. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, there's a lot of commonality between these two wrestlers, even though if you just look at straight style, maybe not so much. Um, but there's definitely things that you can draw. And I, I think you pointed out something that, that, that I would say, which is, when Randy and Ricky were doing the stuff in WWF, no one else was doing it. When Eddie was doing this with Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio, and they were doing that week after week after week on live TV, um, it kind of was a game changer in a lot of ways as far as what... I would say WCW in general was a game changer as far as what you expect out of a match spot wise and and what a good opening match should be and and should be um i mean when you look at that like the the names i just named off is like you know randy had (laughs) he just had ricky the dragon to work with (laughs) so he had like one of those (laughs) and then like later down the line i think he had like he had some rick rude matches and and uh you know missed perfect match so I'm trying to think of good. I mean, there's a lot of great, you know, Randy Savage matches. But if I'm trying to put their body, bodies of work side by side, um, it's it's really really hard because then you factor in Randy's promo and how much he meant uh, being basically the anti-Hogan for people that were tired of Hogan. It's just uh, it's it's really really crazy. But I do remember when. Eddie finally won the WWF title. It was, it almost, it gave me the same feeling as when Sean won it in the 63 minute Iron Man match where he, the boy, with JR's yep. classic call of the boyhood dream has come true. It was that same kind of feeling where you're like, yes, finally, this guy's getting appreciated for what he did. And this one is always going to be very difficult for me because I love Eddie. <laughs> so much and i love macho man so much but uh i mean i guess at the end of the day what are we trying to do rate one higher than the other no not not so much i mean we we, if it comes down to it i i guess right now we can do some comparisons because i think that even though they were both excellent on certain things one might have been better than the other um for when it comes down to in-ring ability eddie guerrero is I mean, look, here's the thing. You can go ask Seth Rollins who's more influential towards his style between Savage and between Guerrero, and he might actually have a hard problem, but he's probably going to say Guerrero. But if you went to wrestlers previous to that, like I was saying, like a Shawn Michaels, he's going to say, you know, who influenced him would be Ricky Morton, would be Randy Savage, would be Ric Flair, um, mostly because, you know, Dynamite Kid – Fucking Ricky Morton 
Ricky Steamboat and and Macho Man were going off the top ropes. They were doing things that no one was doing, so they were innovators in that, that concept. Eddie took it up a notch because he brought Japanese trained stuff. He he had American wrestling in his background, and he obviously had lucha libre. And when they exploded that, now we are normalized to that. But I think most both those wrestlers, their in ring styles, definitely proved to to be innovative and to also be influential. But the difference, I think, is is that Eddie specifically was an incredible. He was, you know, he was incredible when it came to submission work. He was incredible working as a heel. He was incredible doing heel shit as a babyface. Incredible being a sympathetic babyface when it came to selling. Um, the high flying. Obviously, both of them had finishers that were high flying moves at the end of it. The frog splash versus the diving elbow. But Eddie was, I think, a notch better in ring. But when it came to Macho Man. He influenced outside of his in-ring work, you know, when it came to his promos and his personality and, you know, how he handled the business and, and also really being very similar to that version of himself and not changing, at least in front of people, ex- you know, excluded by a couple people like, you know, Ted DiBiase or his brother or good friends of his macho, you know, macho man was always very intense, except for he just, you know, didn't have as much aggression, but when you go to their promos, Eddie Eddie could tell a fucking great promo, man. He was a good heel promo, great babyface promo, but Macho Man has more well-known, the cluffy, the cream, or, you know, cream of the crop, all that stuff. Either one of them, you could sit students down to watch their promos, and they'll get great stuff from it. I think Macho might have been, when it comes to a character, a little bit over Eddie. I mean, he had the pop and circumstance. He had the amazing robes. You know, he had the all the colorfulness and all the great promos outside of it. But he got in the ring. He was awesome. I mean, think about some of the great spots that, that Macho did. You know, whether it be coming, putting his knee in someone's back and throwing him to the outside, going for a fucking double axe handle, coming down like a speed missile, or, you know, uh, grabbing his head, running over to jump over the ropes, strangle the guy real quick. You know, uh, the elbow drop, so many great stuff and kind of different when it came to heels between the two. Like Eddie liked to do it like Ric Flair did it. You know, he liked low blows. He would, you know, I loved how he threw it a chair to the other person, would jump on the ground. Macho yeah. Man, Macho Man liked to do the, the he, he, he would, uh, you know, he would pull a, uh, what the hell is it, a powder. He would always get out of the ring. He'd bitch in, he'd be grabbing Liz, putting her somewhere else just to fucking waste time when he was a heel. So they were different, but they were still great. Like I'm saying before I pass it to you, you can have wrestlers in NXT study their promo style, and they'll both get great stuff from it. And you can have them study their in-ring style. I just think that Eddie was better overall in-ring, and Ma- and Randy was a better overall character, even though they were both great regardless, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I think that I have to give Macho Man the notch in definitely for promos and mostly because what worked for Eddie was just what worked for Ric Flair, but with a different flavor, whereas no one was like Macho Man. Macho Man, completely original. Like, and you could even go back and say Ric Flair's a little bit of Gorgeous George and Muhammad Ali, whatever. We, we can date all, all that back. We all know we all know that story, right? No one was Macho Man. 
as far as like getting on the mic on balance off balance it doesn't matter i'm better than you um but in ring i would agree with you like consistency and uh level of matches I would have to go Eddie Guerrero. The only difference would be that Macho Man was working the WWE schedule back in the day where you worked three dates a week and you're the internet, you're the intercontinental title holder. And he was wrestling full matches. Whereas Hogan did like five moves as the top guy. So there's a little bit of debate there. And then we never really got the Macho Man Ric Flair match. We deserved. Whereas there's, a couple, I mean, even 2003, Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero is pretty good. Um, but that 96 Hogwild, Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero, fucking phenomenal. I mean, Eddie, I would say better worker, but it's one of those things that's so hard to judge because if you remember Macho Man's time, there are certain territories where you just couldn't jump off the top rope. Like, there's certain shit you just couldn't do. Like, WCW for a while with Bill Watts. Like, if you jumped off the top rope, that's disqualification. So, <laughs> it's um, it's just so hard to judge. And I, I will say this about Macho Man. If you look at, like, his match with DDP, and I think DDP's talked about this, like, really going that extra level to put somebody over um, and being this character and being okay with whatever that character takes is something that you that Macho Man should be proud of. And, and that's, that's the reason why he's one of the greatest of all time. Plus, there's something about him pointing to that fucking sky and hitting that elbow drop. It's just like a magical... It's like when Goku turns Super Saiyan, basically. If Macho <laughs> Man points to that fucking sky, you already know what it is. <laughs> it's already done. Do you, you might as well count three do, before do you Do you think... Ends. <laughs> Do you think that um, Eddie and, 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 and Randy share that in common where I don't think it was much about – I mean, if they could win a world heavyweight title, that that would be great. But it was more about if they got to put someone over or have great matches or build themselves as characters, like that was first and foremost their passion when it came to wrestling. I don't think that was Macho Man's outset. I think he wanted to be the top guy, but there was always Hogan. The bastard. It is way. But with Eddie, you get the different story arc of we got to see him crawl and wrestling had changed and the fans have changed to really want to see that guy win the title. So when he finally did win the title, it was an incredible moment. I mean, like, and, and it's the same thing with Macho Man. I mean, he finally. Yeah, I was going to say uh, WrestleMania 3, man. You know, um, him I mean, winning the tournament. Was that five where he won the? Oh, was it five? I yeah, don't remember. and Where also he won the title. Also, it was a vacant title, though. You know what I yeah. mean? In a bad, and and that's considered a bad WrestleMania in general. And there weren't great Macho Man matches. Why? The only because thing we you didn't get say... him and Steamboat fucking again because they were dumb and didn't do it. <laughs> it's just like they should have. Yeah, the last match should have been him and Steamboat for forever <laughs> until they just God. <laughs> until now. Um, yeah, like I think that it was. It, I think that was five. I, I'm not 100 percent sure without googling it, but I'm pretty sure they did that. But but the whole thing was like he didn't really win the title. The title was vacant, so then Hogan came back, right? Or whoever came back. 
the whole thing was like Macho Man's entire career, unfortunately, in WWF was a placeholder, which is like his best stuff. He's great in WCW. He did a lot of work. He had a lot of really good matches. But like his best shit was being an Intercontinental Champion, putting his body on the line while Hogan just dropped the leg. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing yeah. you can do about that. But And you could say the same thing about Eddie Guerrero. Like, Eddie Guerrero was buried under Hogan and NWO, and then he went to, uh, you know, WWF, and uh, guess what? There's The Rock, there's Austin, there's <laughs> there's Austin, there's uh, Triple Lester, H. who all of a sudden comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I think that was, like, at, to, for me as a wrestling fan, seeing Eddie Guerrero get that title was, like, a huge deal for me. Because it was, like, I've watched this guy... It, Specifically for me, because, you know, like, I, I, I love Macho Man, and I, I, I've backdated all of Macho Man shit, right? So, I caught Macho Man in the early 90s. This is more WCW Macho Man. Because, like, uh, I'm, 30, I'm 31, right? So, you look at it, like, 88, like, that's kind of t- the tail end of Macho Man. He started to do commentary in WWF when I was born. Um. But I still love that stuff. But They're my macho, stars. yeah. So so my W, so my Macho Man is WCW, and he did some great stuff there. And I remember him uh, slapping my hand, him and Sting, Saturday night uh, was a uh, Saturday night main event or whatever. Georgia Georgia Mountain Center, Georgia Civic Center, Gainesville, Georgia. It's probably where AJ Styles learned to wrestle. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so I remember more of that, whereas like Eddie Guerrero, because I grew up with Eddie Guerrero, it's it was just when he won that title, it was just like kind of something special. Just like the same thing when Sean won the title, because um, I was like seven or eight when Sean won the title, right? So I remember that being so special. Also, I just hated Bret Hart for some reason. <laughs> oh, Still- I did back then too. I did. I did back then too. You're such a douche. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, it had that feeling to me. Like I'll never. Like I said, the call with Jr. was like the boyhood dream has come true. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit getting those titles and having that moment in the ring and seeing my two of my WCW guys that I rooted for this company. I knew they weren't going to win. <laughs> they got those titles. Just such a huge deal for me. It doesn't mean one's better than the other. If it's me personally and I had to, like, pick one, like, if you had to pick one to never exist again, I guess. I mean, it's almost it's almost impossible not to say Macho Man, unfortunately. Well, let's let's still go kind of a, a couple things um, in between the two of them. A little bit of comparison. In ring, you know, we we talked about this. You have the frog splash versus the elbow drop. Uh, you have the, you know, a lot of times he would do some type of crazy ass crossbody to the outside. Macho Man liked to do a double axe handle to the outside. Um, Randy, you know, I kind of went over his moves. Then there, you have the mannerisms between the two of them. You have Eddie shaking his, you know, his chest at the beginning, doing the, the, the tranquilo out in the corner just to piss off people. 
And Macho Man, with all of his pop and circumstance, you know, spinning to the sky and stuff and doing his twirls. Um, which Eddie, one? Eddie also your did eye the, more. Eddie also did the razor thing where you run because in WCW he had like the the grease mullet, and later on he still did too. Later, but he would uh, run his hand through the grease or whatever and flick it on his opponent, Razor Ramon style. Oh yeah, uh, which, which obviously he took from Steiner a little bit. I thought that's, I mean, that's like you know NATO spitting in a guy's face to some extent. I always thought that was kind of dope. That's the next question I wanted to ask you. What did you like them? Would you prefer them more as heel or baby? Because they were both good at at, at both. I mean, they both started off as baby faces in their in their earlier careers. They both developed themselves as heels uh, later on, uh, you know, and. Eddie just was a mean dickhead heel, especially some of the shit that he put Chavo through on Nitro just to be that 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 asshole, arrogant. But then you have the Macho King, who one of our favorite wrestlers, you made us hate him <laughs> so much and doing every heel tactic. But then they could switch back to being babyface and just be so like, you know, you love them and they would do heelish shit even as babyfaces. But you still like them, and I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like when it comes down to it, I prefer both of them as baby faces. But they they were two amazing heels as well, you know. I mean, I prefer Macho Man as a heel because when he came in, he was a heel with Miss Elizabeth, and I love that story arc of their relationship, which eventually did build to him being a baby face and becoming a good guy and getting bit by Jake the Snake, Robert Snake, or whatever. But you know that's way down the road, but coming into the coming into the WWE when all those managers were bidding for him, and he ended up with Miss Elizabeth and him chasing her around the ring and having those great matches with Steamboat with George the Animal still chasing after him. That's my prototypical Macho Man. And then as a kid, he was he came in for a little bit, then NWO showed up, and he was NWO Macho Man. So for my, for me, Macho Man's always been to at least to me, just because of how much I watched Macho Man, it was always a better heel. Uh, just because I, I wasn't, I, I didn't get to really experience the mega powers, um, which in, he just turned heel anyway, so it didn't really. <laughs> like, <laughs> Macho Man's baby face. You got runs the are, lust in your eyes, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, Macho Man's runs as baby face is uh, kind of short, right? Whereas, like, I, I don't know, Eddie getting the title, taking the Ric Flair thing and doing what Ric Flair did to you, like, it's not, this is not baffling. Like, Ric Flair did the same thing. He's able to obviously heal, but I'll cheat and act confused about it, and then people will think I'm a babyface because this guy's an asshole kind of thing. He just basically did Dusty. Dusty where, would do where, the same thing. Where, like, Dusty whereas Rose, Macho Man would, would pull your ass out wait for the, the ref to not be looking, bash your head against the fucking thing, just start beating the shit out of you outside, use whatever he could, and then threw you inside like it was nothing. Like, I love Macho Man, Macho Madness era, when he was still kind of a baby face, you know, within the NWO, sort of, but he would just annihilate motherfuckers. Good shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Eddie would do that, too, when he was, like, a straight heel, but when he was doing the lie, cheat, and steal thing it became something very different that was kind of unique, which reminded me of, like, uh, Dusty Rhodes. Because Ric Flair would cheat. He would cheat, and the ref wouldn't see it, and he wouldn't see it. And then you'd finally get Dusty Rhodes giving him the one-up cheat 
You know what I mean? Like to gouge the eye and then look at the ref like, hey, what happened? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, um, love it. And and that's very much uh, that's very much where he went as a baby face. And and like I said, like uh, the transition from God, what were what the hell? The radicals to the relationship with China to I'm just a mid card guy to him winning the fucking title with lie cheat and steal riding out in the low riders. Um, it's just such a higher arc than like, I feel like macho man just kind of came in and he was a guy yep. immediately. Cause he was just that fucking good. And Eddie Guerrero was that fucking good, but took him a little just, bit longer. It took him so much longer. So the pinnacle of the career seeing that baby face, win the title belt and the the actual tears which like that's the pinnacle right winning the wwf title belt like that's the fucking pinnacle or at least at that time maybe not now i i guess it depends on who you are and uh, beating Brock Lesnar. yeah retaining <laughs> to fucking kurt angle all right let me let me ask you this is another thing let's compare entrances and let's compare the women involved in their life. Uh, entrances. Macho Man Randy Savage, he looked immaculate. You know, the robes, the costumes, the colors. It's like he was a sensory overload just from everything. You know, his voice, his look, everything. Now, he came out, and we've kind of talked about it, to pop and circumstance, which worked for him, but was a little bit boring. But then he also had his valet. Um you know, whether that be Liz or whether that be Sherry. Uh, Eddie, I would say, you know, even though he didn't have that prestigious of an entrance, the lie, cheat, steal, him on the low rider coming out, you know, getting everyone fucking into it. He just had, he just, both of them knew how to start off a match with their entrances, but both of them also, you know, got the audience into it uh, immediately going into it. I preferred Eddie when it came to his music and his entrance itself, but I loved uh, the look of Savage. He looked immaculate. Um, you know, I don't think anyone really in wrestling has maybe flair, but even Macho Man might have been a little bit more flamboyant with his colors. And then, like I said, the ladies involved, you know, obviously both of them, Eddie, his wife, she unfortunately until afterwards became a superstar within wrestling and a great female heel um, you know, and, 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 and commissioner for, for, for whatever, but she's still a huge established part of wrestling. When you came out with China, that was very popular. Everyone liked the, the mamacita, the Latino heat, you know, until he screwed up obviously. And that went to shame, but he did have her as a, as a valet. And then obviously with macho man, his wife, Liz, which didn't work out later on, unfortunately with their relationship, but that was a very tight package, and when he was a heel, Sensational Sherry was just as important, I think, for that version, the Macho King, as Liz was for Macho Man Randy Savage. So, uh, entrances and the ladies involved. What do you think, Chris? Macho Man and Macho Man. Uh, Macho Man's entrance, I think, is just so grand. I love pomp and circumstance. I mean, that's what Gorgeous George came out to there's it's the the robe the whole celebration of what it is it makes you pay attention to it same thing as rick flair like rick flair 
the song is very boring. It's more about the fact that this cocky asshole is coming out to this song with the rope and the song and the dance. Um, whereas, like, you know, at the time where Eddie did the car, the lowrider, Undertaker's also riding around the ring in a motorcycle to, like, roll in and then American Badass. So it lost a little bit of luster if you were watching during that time period, I guess. Uh, even though I do love that version of Eddie, especially when Chavo was with him for a little bit, and they just both rode in the the road, the lowrider. Um, man, so tough. Uh, as far as female counterparts, I would say, I mean, Miss Elizabeth's un- undeniable, right? Like, I mean, I love Sensational Sherry. She's great. If I had to pick one manager. And, and Vicky is great too i i don't want to like say anything bad about vicky she's i liked vicky i know a lot of people just hated the excuse me thing where she was like excuse me for like eight years wasn't um, that the point that's kind of the point she got heat right <laughs> but miss elizabeth like they got married on tv and everybody you know just wanted to see macho man open a present and there's jake the snake's cobra it's the best. I mean, like, it's literally the best. Macho Man got bit by a cobra on live TV day. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any, I don't think Eddie ever had to deal with that type of situation. By the way, if you guys want to hear it, go look up Jake the Snake explaining this on Joe Rogan, and I believe him. I mean, it's his word against whoever, but that that was actually Savage's idea. Like, oh, you got a snake, huh? If it's the Venomize, uh, why don't we try to get it to bite me on TV? And it went from that to Macho Man interrogating Jake right beforehand. And Jake being like, dude, this is your idea. What are you talking about? And wanting the snake to bite uh, Jake beforehand and waiting to see if Jake died uh, in the <laughs> locker room to make sure. And then in the ring what, when they do that, that thing. Here's the thing. Was that actually... Was that actually Randy Savage, or was that just Macho Man's character <laughs> to add the layer of complication <laughs> to the entire thing? Oh, yeah. You know, and then, yeah, so he paintbrushed the shit out of the snake, pissed it off, and it would it latched down so much that they had to keep on, you know, getting people to come down to try to get the snake off of Savage. So just craziness. All right, so this is kind of the last one. Let's go over... Uh, between these two, their opponents, great famous opponents. Um, I would say Wood Savage. You got to note uh, Adrian Street early on. Him and Piper before WWE used to beat the living hell out of each other. Him and Lawler had basically like a loser leaves town match between their two territories for supremacy of the uh, number one spot on television. Uh, obviously Hulk Hogan. Uh, Tito Santana, he got the IC title from George the Animal Steel, Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair in, in both WWE and in WCW, Jake the Snake Roberts, Diamond Dallas Page, Lex Luger. Then we look at Eddie and the people that he went against, you know, between Chavo, obviously, was someone back and forth with him. Um, of course, my thing's freezing now. Of course. I mean, that makes a sense. Chavo was someone that they did. He had a little stint, I would say, with the uh, with the four horsemen at first. 
are you guys really going to fuck up right now when I'm trying to finish my goddamn show? Yeah, I got you, man. We're talking about some Eddie Guerrero matches. Eddie Guerrero versus Edge, no DQ match, SmackDown, September. It's on this list. I wish I fucking just Snapchatted the list. <laughs> okay, actually, I have it. Sorry about that, guys. All right, Chavo, uh, Chris Jericho in, in WCW, Edge, like you just said, Rob Van Dam, Brock Lesnar, Batista, two guys that he over the odds. One of his biggest, JBL. Uh, Ray Mysterio is on and off uh, feud with him, and then Kurt Angle. I mean, those are two amazing lists of awesome wrestlers. And if you go back with both of them, since they were who they were, outside of Randy Savage with Hogan, I never was a fan of that mo- that that match at WrestleMania. I thought it was was just Hogan being Hogan and not really letting uh, Savage get a lot of offense. But other than that, most of these matches and these pair-ups were fucking incredible, and they worked with some of the best of their eras. Um, who do you think have the better opponents, personally? Oh, that's so tough. Um, Eddie Guerrero had the better opponents. As far as, like, people that Eddie faced, I mean, Rey Mysterio, Brock Lesnar, Dean Malenko... Edge, Kurt Angle. Uh, I actually kind of feel bad now looking at this list of also fucking great wrestlers versus what Macho Man had to deal with. Like, didn't he wrestle Van Hammer when he came to WCW? <laughs> like, he, he, you know, they both. That's another thing that they both have in common. There's a ch- chunk in time before Macho Man got injured and came back even more jacked with Gorgeous George and barely wrestled. You know, where they just kind of had him helping talent out and when eddie came back after him getting fired and they before smackdown became big they had him kind of doing the same fucking thing just on auto like on idle mode you know now i'm gonna give some props to randy savage because he did work with i just named off a bunch of really great phenomenal fucking wrestlers edge dean malenko uh Rey mysterio chris jericho etc um Randy did a lot without – if you take away the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat or Ricky Dragon – if you take away Steamboat, right, and you go look at WCW, he had a match with a guy that no one thought was ever going to be anyone named DDP. That match turned out pretty good. <laughs> he had you matches know? with Sting. He had matches with Flair. He had matches with Hogan. Um Maybe not to the same level as what Eddie was doing, but yeah, as far as like good opponents and good matches, they they both had good matches. I just, I mean, Eddie just had fucking phenomenal matches. You know, I will say for your DDP comparison, John Cena doesn't think that he would have been able to be jump started with his career if it wasn't for Eddie Guerrero and their uh, their their parking lot brawl match that he was pivotal. And helping him get to where he needed to get. Kurt Angle somewhere chanting John Cena sucks right now. It's like John Cena sucks. <laughs> no. You that, suck. <laughs> that's a great that is a great match, that parking lot brawl. I kind of forgot about that. Um but yeah, no, that's a really good one too. Shit. And, 
And tragically, we never got to see the two guys wrestle each other. Uh, there was one match, a tag team back when, before the NWO and WCW, where Savage tagged with Ric Flair when they were feuding. Flair beat the crap out of him before that, and Anderson was tagging with Eddie Guerrero, and they hated Eddie Guerrero. So both guys, basically it was a way for Eddie, or it was a way for Arn and, um, and Flair to take it out on two guys they weren't getting along with. And they were in the ring for a very small, small amount of time, but it would have been great to see the two of them go at it later on in WCW before uh, Savage got hurt. And I think that kind of brings us towards the kind of end of this conversation and the a little bit of the sadder part, but we'll we'll bring it around and make it happy, is that both guys, you know, because of the amount of of they wanted to be bigger. They, I mean, I think that really is what it came down to. And I think that steroids, a lot of that type of stuff, uh, them on the road all the time, unfortunately, inevitably caught up with both guys. Uh, Eddie would pass away in his sleep in a hotel found by Chavo. We kind of went over that recently with the Benoit documentary. And Macho Man had a massive heart attack, crossed the medium, and crashed uh, driving his car. And um, that's the thing that sucks is that their legacies, they were they were so okay. Like, like I keep on saying, they were so okay with helping other people out, building other wrestlers. They loved the industry. They're passionate about having good matches and stuff that people would take away from. And, um, I mean, 97 Halloween Havoc, if you want to watch two great matches that are both on there, Rey Mysterio and Eddie, steal it at the beginning, and then Diamond Dallas Page and Macho Man Randy Savage was the real main event on that thing. But um, they both have ridiculous amounts of matches out there. They've influenced so many fucking wrestlers that we love and grow up with. People are going to be doing elbow drops. And fucking frog splashes from now until the end of time. And really, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter if it's Eddie Guerrero or Macho Man Randy Savage. No one will ever be like them. Um, there can be people that that put that can kind of imitate or put influence. But when it comes down to it, I think these guys separately, even though they're so individual and to themselves share a lot in common more so than someone that, you know, and, and no offense to Andrade who seems to have similar look and style as Eddie or someone like a Jay Lethal who puts on a great Macho Man performance. These guys for their eras were very important. And um, they're two of the greatest of all time overall. And that's a hard thing to say in wrestling. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, our first, uh, I'm going to call it, even though it wasn't really a debate, we're going to call these the Clash of Champions, where we'll go over two wrestlers and kind of just call, talk. Don't, can't call it the Clash of Champions. Vince is going to put us in court. We're going to be there in the XFL trials. Hey, pal. Thing. Hey, pal. We'll call this the Clash of Champions. We bought WCW, goddammit. We'll, fig- we'll figure out some name not to get us in legal troubles <laughs> with Titan Towers and WWE, but we'll, we'll do these uh, in the future. I actually really enjoyed this. Uh, my, my my first one that came to mind was John Cena and Hulk Hogan, but I, I don't want to do that right now. I, I like kind of trying to think outside the box. I think Eddie and, and Macho are, are two guys to compare with each other, but they're very different as well. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I hope it, that you had fun with it too, Chris. I did. Um, I guess before we leave, let's give, let's give everyone a match to watch. And uh, for me, 
I think I, I think you, I'll, I'll give an Eddie Guerrero one. You give an Eddie Guerrero one. I'll give a Macho Man one. You give a Macho Man one. Sound okay? Sounds good to me. All right. So mine, Hogwild, nineteen ninety six, Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero, U.S. title match. Definitely a must watch. It's fucking phenomenal. It's the best. It's definitely the best thing on that show. Also, Tony Schiavone has a uh, fake tattoo and a, a denim vest. So just tune in for that in general. And uh, what was your what was your Randy Savage one? Oh damn it! So hard. Uh, Savage. Steamboat would be the one, but you know I'm gonna go off the I'm gonna go off the rip and be like I think Randy Savage is the only person that ever had a good Ultimate Warrior match. So Randy versus Ultimate Warrior. That that is a good match. Then I completely agree with you. Savage <laughs> fucking holy shit. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say besides the obvious with Eddie beating uh, Brock Lesnar, kind of like besides the obvious or or the Kurt Angle one where he retained that same year. Um, like I said. Halloween Havoc 97, man. Two of the greatest matches, I think, from WCW. One, Rey Mysterio beating Eddie for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, And also, Randy Savage going against Diamond Dallas Page in a 19-minute Las Vegas sudden death match. I don't know exactly. It it was a hardcore. It was a fucking hardcore match, but they put on a fucking amazing... That was probably... Arguably, Randy Savage is one of his last best matches in his career, I would say, and one of the one of the most studied matches with Eddie and uh, Ray for modern wrestling. Uh, so yeah, I think those are those are all great matches, man. Two great wrestlers. Oh man, it makes me really sad that we didn't get like Savage in other territories because he just happened to hit right when WWF was hitting. Like we didn't get Dusty and Terry and dory and we like, got dusty but it was it was wwf book dusty later on with sapphire like could you imagine sat like randy savage coming into florida championship wrestling and challenging dusty Rhodes? could you imagine that yeah I, like it's Here's just a weird thing we never got we never got because one was on raw and one was on smackdown we never got eddie versus Shawn michaels never which is baffling maybe maybe eddie just didn't want to work with sean <laughs> still man that could have been a clinic and uh, yeah that might be understandable. <laughs> and he's like no fuck that guy because wasn't chris benoit like that too he was like no fuck that guy <laughs> there was a couple people that just didn't i think like out of that crew Rob van damn uh, uh, Rob Van Dam said, "Don't ever meet your idols." And fucking did the same thing with Shelton Benjamin. He did not enjoy his times with Sean. Well, like uh, Jericho, like slapped his wife or whatever. That was, uh, God, that was bad. Uh, anyways, um, before we leave, real real quick question: We don't have to go into the episode. Um, I just want to say that after watching that Dark Side of the Ring, Doctor David Schultz is one of the biggest badasses that never fucking happened in wrestling. And I really would say that even though he was a heel, he kind of was Austin before Austin was Austin. And I'm mad that I could not find a match between him and Terry Funk on fucking YouTube or Google. But that guy's a badass and a badass bounty hunter. Like, he puts dog to shame. 
<laughs> so I had the privilege of, uh, like I said, I saw him with a Q&A and they put him and Eddie Mansfield together, which is, the, as everyone knows, the uh, was the Continental Lover, one of the rats, so to speak, of oh, that 16 rats so to speak of that 60 minute interview and they had this conversation like the entire time as crazy as it sounds because he did slap the shit out of john stossel he was very nice and it was like yeah i remember we used to wrestle tag we did that tag team thing that one time that was fun (laughs) and he was a super nice guy um he talked definitely talked about bounty hunting carry people over the line whatever um he slapped the shit out of john stossel like hard <laughs> what do you like bust his eardrum or something like oh no dude you know what's the funniest thing is on the show they're showing his uh he had like i guess a reality tv thing for for him taking down people and there's this one hispanic gentleman that he's arresting and he's like oh dude you're dr death you slapped the shit out of geraldo rivera and i just started <laughs> laughing my ass off so, no, it wasn't Geraldo, but you got it. I like he tried, He kind of tried to work it on the documentary. I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed that. He was like, I didn't hit him that hard. But when like I saw the Q and A, he was like, I slapped the shit out of him. So <laughs> 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 that's wrestling. <laughs> that's wrestling, folks. Uh, um, to you, to you, Doctor Death. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Death, great guy. I met him. Super nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't like bullshit and and uh definitely encourage everyone to go listen to that cornet interview where he's uh, like you can call me whatever you want just don't call me fake i'm not i'm not a fake person is what he said he's like i'm not a fake person you can call me whatever you want just don't call me fake and i think that would be anything in life right <laughs> like you don't want to say something you're like you're a fake person at your job so I, I understand what he means. And also, uh, this entire season of Dark Side of the Ring is just, like, list shit on Vince McMahon. Because kind also, of. he Vince was the one that was like, go out there and get heat. Sorry, pal. We're going to have to fire you. Yeah, when Schultz slapped the shit out of him, he's like, uh, we didn't mean to get that much heat. But meanwhile, Hogan's, like, choking out the dude from Law & Order SVU. What's that guy's name? Oh, I forgot, but yeah, I, I, that whole thing. And then Hulk Hogan being like, yeah, dude, he slapped the shit out of fucking Mr. T in the back, caused a huge confrontation. I never did that. It's like, uh, uh what happened? <laughs> what really happened is what I want to know. Belzer. Uh, I can't think of his last name. But his first name is Belzer, or his last name is Belzer. And he goes on to do like a podcast, a bunch of interviews, actually, newspaper interviews, where he talks about Hogan bought his, like, uh, european house like his beach house because he sued the shit out of wwe because hogan just choked him out and dropped him on his head on live tv or tape tv or whatever it is yeah yeah back in the day uh talk shit you get hit uh prime example even not even back in the day uh undertaker and uh vader where this guy like taker was champion and this guy kept pressing taker to say wrestling was fake he's like so it's like a fix right and then like take invaders just like what <laughs> it's great awesome. it's great well either way i think this is a pretty damn long but awesome show uh we'll probably 
I'll probably try to go back and find out the 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 time period in which we can um in which we start talking about Savage and uh, Eddie just in case we have that time slotted so you guys can know where the hell that's at. But uh, overall, you know, we talked about a lot of great wrestling. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think that was fun. I think next week we might try to do the Hall of Fame again or maybe something else, something different to keep you guys, you know, keep your minds off what's going on out there and uh, have fun with us. Uh, Chris, um, you know, say goodbye to the good people and uh, plug anything you want to plug. Well, uh, as always, this is an awesome show. Really, really enjoy it. You can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter, Christopher.R.Patton on Facebook, Chris.R.Patton on Instagram, I want to say. Maybe. I don't really use that one. Um, and then also, if you like hockey, listen to Skate's Throats. It's uh, good. And then uh, there should be a Geek Vibes Live coming out with uh, your boy, me, on it, uh, talking about some stuff that I nor- normally don't talk about, at least on my shows. So it's it's very fun. So check that out. I'm sure it's great fun. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, all new listeners, thank you guys so much. We do this show twice a week. We usually have the shows up on Friday and then Sunday for both uh, shows that we record on Thursday and Saturdays. So just keep on listening. We'll keep on covering wrestling. Uh, go to geekvibesnation.com. Uh, there you'll find news articles for everything when it comes down to comics, comic book movies, just the movies, uh, video games, wrestling. We cover an array of different topics. There you'll also find links to our Instagram, to our Facebook, to our Twitter at Geek Fives Nation. You can find me on Twitter at Alves, um I think it's Alves 42 and then you can find me at Dane Owls on Facebook. If you guys want to join the conversation, join Geek Vibes Nation, find me there, and we can have some fun. And uh, all of our past listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to us. Remember, we're on every audio platform out there. We're usually on YouTube, uh, you know, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We're put on everything, and we love doing these shows for you guys. So keep on listening. Have a wonderful wonderful day and a wonderful weekend peace out and as of course let the geek fives be with you bye everybody